want to welcome you to our weekly Bible study for June 3rd, 2007. Today we're going to do kind of a brief update on the Middle East situation, which is probably going to be an ongoing thing. Unless that situation would really cool down, I feel pretty compelled to continue to just give some sort of update on a weekly basis as this situation could erupt into potentially World War III very easily. The first thing we'll look at is a news alert from Cutting Edge today. is entitled, Iran is Lighting Many Fires. And I'm just, again, this is going to kind of be more of a brief update today on the situation, just to give you the flavor of what's going on over there. This starts talking about war signs escalated yesterday when the Israeli government began preparations to prepare their people for all-out war. This is from the Jerusalem Post. And it was entitled, Israel to Ready Public for All-Out War. Now this is what the Jews are saying. Well, this isn't some, you know, whatever source that may be questioned. This is what they're actually saying in their own papers. It says, with Iran racing toward nuclear power and Israeli defense forces preparations for the possibility of a conflict in Syria, conflict with Syria and Hezbollah in high gear, the Home Front Command plans to launch a publicity campaign to prepare the public for all-out war. Within a few weeks it intends to inform the public about what people need to do in the event of an attack. Now, they're ongoing, have been for years, been preparing for this, so not, not to give the impression that they haven't been doing this for years. They're way more prepared than America would ever be because it's so much part of their life over there. Um, so, I kind of wanted just to mention that as a side note there. It goes on to say, an Israeli official then detailed exactly how seriously the government took this rapidly deteriorating situation. Uh, this is from Colonel Sofar, head of the Home Front Command Population Division. Uh, boy, that sounds Orwellian. Uh, he told this to, to the Jerusalem Post on Wednesday. It says, our job is to prepare for an all-out war. We must watch this situation carefully for the 40th anniversary of the Six-Day War commences on June 5th, which is, okay, two days from now. Uh, I'll try to get the sermon up tonight. So, June 5th is the 40th anniversary of the Six-Day War. On this day in 1967, Israel launched a preemptive strike which resulted in a complete victory over the threatening Arab forces which caused control over Jerusalem and the Temple Mount to pass back to the Jews for the first time in over 2,000 years. So that's, that's a noteworthy point, uh, just kind of an interesting side note there. We go a little bit further into this article and it says... It's talking a lot about how the Iranians are actually working now with the Iraqis in order to train a lot of their troops and actually to extend themselves through the Iraq troops without actually maybe declaring an all-out war with America, which is what we're, we're, looks as though what we're rapidly approaching. And this all ties in, you know, from, from the... From what I've seen right now, Israel is basically surrounded on three sides by different um, Islamic extremist factions. And so that stage has been set. And now what Iran is doing is they're going to a lot of these other Middle Eastern countries and trying to get them on board. Because Iran really is wanting 
to bring about World War III because they believe that the arising of their Messiah, the Muhammad Gandhi or whatever his name is, the, the 12th Imam, is how they refer to him. They believe that that is only going to happen. He's the prophesied one that's going to basically, you know, deliver uh, and prosper the Islamic people into this whatever. Uh, he, they believe that that entity can only arise through a lot of bloodshed. Bloodshed on their own part and bloodshed of their enemies. So they're kind of chomping at the bit and they're trying to get these other Middle Eastern countries to get on board right now so that there will be an all-out war in the Middle East. And, you know, that's always been the goal is to eradicate and annihilate the Jews and any of the infidel non-believers. They're either going to have to be converted or die. That's what their Quran teaches them they have to do. And it says it right in there in many places that you are to slay the infidel and an infidel is an unbeliever. And if you have any doubts about this, email me and I'll get you uh, an email a study that we've done on this where we give you all the book, all the quotes from the Quran, we, we show you the pictures, we, we give you all the documentation, we show you that Allah is not the God of the Bible, he's actually the moon God. And we can prove that easily. Uh, it's just another another devil that they worship is all it is. So if you have any doubts about any of this information, or if you or if you have some other people that may need some clarification on this issue, just email me, and uh, I will get you that information. My email address is on the website uh, for sermonsaudio.com, and it's drjohnson at the letter i the letter x dot netcom dot com. So, this article goes on to say, what is the grand goal of the Iranians? They intend to force the Americans to retreat from Iraq, thus preserving Iran from physical attack by coalition forces. Which is, from their standpoint, would be pretty smart, if, if they could pull that off. Uh, they further intend to set up a government in Iraq fully supportive of the Iranian lifestyle of government, which is called, quote, the rule of the jurist which is what the Ayatollah Khomeini style of government was. And then it goes on to say, now we must know that Iran is the mastermind behind the current fighting in Iraq. Well, I don't know about that, because we went over there and for the purpose of securing all of the monetary interests and the, and the oil interests and the control that that region offers um, through Bush and Cheney, and because these guys are oilmen. And then all of the, the ties that they have. I mean, Cheney was the, the CEO of Halliburton, and they're one of the main contractors over there. KBR is a subsidiary, I believe, of Halliburton. And KBR is one of the main, I believe, defense contractors over there doing a lot of different things. And it's all evil. It's just all, it's all about money, greed, evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. And so much of it ties back to this current administration that's in office in this government. Uh, so... Iran may be masterminding the Islamic component of this, but a lot of factions that are going on in this government are even more guilty as far as I'm concerned, and that can be easily proven. So it says we must address the issue of possible geopolitical ramifications. If Iran has indeed engaged American troops with her agents, that means she's beginning the battle to protect her nation by attacking her enemy 
on the soil of Iraq. Technically speaking, this tactic changes the entire political military equation. Now we are technically at war with Iran, making this conflict a regional war. But why should we be surprised? For that's the stated aim of Iran's March 21st, 2003, quote, lighting the fires plan. Evidently, this was a plan that they came out with in March of 2003, and they termed it lighting the fires. Prince Hussein of Jordan has witnessed the obvious unfold before him and has sounded the warning that World War III will shortly be underway. And this was from March 26, 2004, from the BBC, a Middle East reporter. It was entitled, Jordanian Prince Issues World War III Warning. Prince Hussein of Jordan has said his fears of a third world war is erupting in the Middle East. Now this is back in 2004. Extremist voices in the region, region were rising, and not only individuals, but states were talking, taking the law into their own hands. The prince said he was speaking after a week in which Israel assassinated the spiritual leader of the Palestinian military group Hamas. The prince said he feared the violence currently marking the Israeli-Palestinian relations would spread to other countries in the region. At present time, I'm afraid the making of a third world war was actually taking place in front of our very eyes. I'm afraid we'll see a spillover into hostilities with Lebanon, already Hezbollah's bombing the north, a spillover of hostilities with Syria, and of course Iran is still very much on the axis of evil. End of quote. This is exactly how World War I began. Once the Archduke of Australia was assassinated, events began to unfold in much the same manner as Prince Hassan is describing. Like a rock thrown into a lake, each event started creating ever-increasing circles of subsequent events. Soon the European world was divided into two camps and the war was underway. This unfolding of events took 30 days to accomplish after the assassination. Many people worried that Israel's dramatic and heavy-handed assassination of Palestinian cleric Sheikh Yassin might similarly trigger this World War III. The Illuminati plan for World War III to begin between Israel and her Arab neighbors. Furthermore, uh, furthermore, soon after the 9-11 attacks, an aide to Israeli's Prime Minister Sharon let the cat out of the bag. Now this is from a news brief from the Arizona Daily Star. World War III is coming whether we like it or not. That's what it's entitled. Quote, the terror attacks of 9-11 and the extreme turmoil in the Middle East point to one thing. World War III. A spokesman for the Israeli Prime Minister Ariel Sharon said Friday during a visit to Tucson, evidently Arizona, we've been fighting a war for the past 18 months which is the harbinger of World War III. Now they're basically saying it's a foregone conclusion. It's going to happen. The world is going to fight whether they like it or not. I'm sure uh, this is I can't even say his name, but his name is Mr. Geeson. A senior advisor to Sharon said in an interview Friday, September 11th was a watershed event and the things will never be the same. The battle lines have been drawn. This is the essence of the Illuminati plan. These recent attacks in Iraq simply represent the outworking of a much larger plan to instigate World War III. And that instigation of World War III will ultimately produce the Antichrist. And again, this is what a lot of the themes are um, with much of what we get into in the teachings because really you know there's that expression that talks about Israel is God's timepiece and I had a lady ask me the other day about all the things that are going on in America and, I, and, and how this or that could happen or in regard to the tribulation 
but really my response back to her was that, well, yes, I watch America. No doubt about it. And that's one of the main things I talk about. But really the main thing I'm, I really keep an eye on is what's going on in the Middle East. Because I realize the Middle East is going to be pivotal to a lot of the end time events, particularly when we get into the revelation and the tribulation and things of that nature. And Israel truly is like God's timepiece. So I, I'm looking a little bit more at what's going on over there uh, to evaluate you know, currently where we're moving. This article goes on to say the plan seems very close to completion in regard to producing the Antichrist. Every attack in Afghanistan and Iraq and every threat of war between Israel and Palestinian authorities brings the world ever closer to that faithful final birth pangs of Matthew 24, 6-8. The final pangs will give birth to the Antichrist. So anyway, that was just kind of wanted to give you a quick update this week on the uh, on that situation over there. Next thing we're going to talk about, I've been meaning to do this for weeks, but there's been so many other things that have kind of pushed this out of the way. The um, hate crimes legislation that is um, uh, these ongoing legislations that are being railroaded through, you know, the government here. And to see how this would implicate us as Christians. Now, I got this alert uh, probably like last week, and it says... Uh, uh, it's basically a, an 800 number you can call 24 hours a day where you can actually call and um, uh, voice your opinion in regard to the hate crimes issues. The, the number is, is, if you want to write it down, is 866-220-0044. It's good 24 hours a day. And it's 866-220-0044. Use this free 800 number to call your congressman uh, simply give them your zip code and they will connect you to your senator or congressman. It goes on to say, if you think you couldn't lose your First Amendment rights to speech, please listen up. Your right to speak or preach is now being threatened in Congress. All Americans who cherish their freedom of speech must vigorously oppose H.R. 1592. And again, that's H.R. 1592. And the Senate Companion Bill which were introduced by good old Senator Ted Kennedy. Okay. These, label, these are labeled as hate crime bills. As one commentator puts it, your government is at war, Christians are in the bullseye. And that really is the truth. The Christians are absolutely in the bullseye. Satan wants to shut up the salt and light. Okay. And if these hate crime legislations get fully implemented, what I'm doing is going to be considered hate crime. You preach out of the Bible, it's going to be a hate crime. Uh, it's going to give them an excuse. I mean, it's going to be like, you know, it could give them an excuse ultimately to burn the Bibles, particularly the King James Bible. Now, if you have a nice watered-down version, like one of these versions, like the inclusive version, or something like that, where they refer to Jesus as the one, you know, no, those they're, you're going to be able to have those Bibles. Okay? But, not a King James, and not something that, that, that you know, calls it like it is. Not a Bible that's going to preach against sodomy, homosexuality, whatever they perceive to be a hate crime. So understand, we're very, very close to that as well. There's a lot of things we're very much right on the cusp of. World War III is probably the main thing, but there's a lot of other things that, that are right on the cusp of happening as well. 
And I do believe we as Christians need to voice our opinions about this because if we don't voice our opinions, what that does is, is it gives the Illuminati a green light uh, to implement to implement their draconian plans even further. When there's no public outcry at all, particularly from Christians, it, it just it tells these people that have been put where they are, these evil people that are in high places, it gives them the green light to say, okay, well, they're, they're just laying down like lambs to the slaughter, and uh, we can just do whatever we want to do. So it is important we do these things. And then uh, we go on to say, in this article, it says, as one commentator puts it, your government is at work. Christians are in the bullseye. In the new hate crimes plan, Congress is working to create penalties for non-politically correct views. And again, the Bible is not politically correct if it's being preached properly. <laughs> so, uh, you know, theoretically, if you're a 501c3, you shouldn't be preaching anything that's not politically correct anyway. Theoretically, the IRS could come in right now uh, through various organizations and take away your 501c3 status uh, because of, of the things that they impose. And again, if you don't believe that, please email me and I will get you the full email on it's called Satan's Master Plan to Destroy the Church. And we go through all this, how 30 different ways, and we, we did this last week too, 30 different ways in which the Internal Revenue Service controls the church. Or, or should be controlling the church. I'm not saying they fully exercise all of their authority at this point. But that day and time is coming. The day and time to pay the piper. And the piper, in that regard, if you look at what the piper was, it was basically uh, the... That expression comes from the term pan. Pan is where we get the word pandemic from, or pandemonium. Pan was a, uh, a god that was worshipped. Uh, he's kind of one of the, they, I believe he's like, they call him like the god of the woods. And this is where they call pain the piper from. The piper was pan, okay? And it would be like the devil. And when you get something from the devil, the price you have to always pay is much more than you want to pay or much more than you're willing or capable of paying. And that time for the 501c3 churches to pay the piper is coming. And this is one of the reasons I do what I do because I'm trying to warn you know, not only individuals but the churches themselves that they need to come out from among the system lest they be partakers of their plagues, as it talks about in Revelation, where it says, Wherefore, come out from among them, my children, lest you be partakers of her plagues. And I understand that's in the tribulation, and I understand that's in reference to Mystery Babylon. But there's types and things like these in the Bible that are there for our examples as well. And that's why the Bible says, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. So, and, and that's uh, 2 Corinthians 2, uh, 6, 2 Corinthians 6, verse 17. Uh, we want to make sure that we've come out of the world system as much as we possibly can. Most of the time, people are in the world system, but they, they're not even aware of it, especially if you live in America, because it's just been the status quo. People have been doing it for years, and, and we haven't really looked into these things further. So that's one of my callings, is to try to be a watchman to help people see that there's, you know, this is the greatest time of deception that the world has ever known. It was the time where Jesus kept continually saying, be not deceived, be not deceived. 
This is the time when the Bible says that in the end times some will, will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, and having their conscience seared with a hot iron. This is the time we're living in. Seducing spirits, doctrines of devils, uh, turning their ears into fables, uh, giving heed to Jewish fables. That's another thing that, that, that it talks about. And that's a big, big movement now with the pseudo- Christian church, particularly the Pentecostal church, that won't all be Messianic Jews, giving heed to Jewish fables. And the Bible talks about you observe days and times and years. We we have all these 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 this movement within Christianity now to observe the Jewish feasts and days and times and all of this legalism bondage where where we were called out of because Jesus was a better covenant. And you just read the book of Galatians. Please read the book of Galatians carefully if you have any doubts about these things. Because the book of Galatians alone would be all I would need in order to prove this point. But it's all through the New Testament that we're not to be brought back into this yoke of bondage. That we're saved by grace, through faith, and that not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. So these are things that, that we, we really need to be aware of. Um, lest we be ignorant of Satan's devices and he get an advantage of us, which is talked about in 2 Corinthians or 1 Corinthians 2.11. Um, or that we be destroyed for lack of knowledge, like Hosea 4.6 warns about. So these are things that, that are, are facing us right now, and, and we just want to make sure we're doing spiritual checks on ourselves. The Bible says if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged of God. We should be judging ourselves every single day. And and in understanding that, that that judging ourselves is something that pleases God. Okay? He that is spiritual judgeth all things. And that's including yourself. And that's what the Bible says. He that is spiritual judgeth, judgeth all things. Jesus said, judge righteous judgment. Now, we're not supposed to be hypocritical in our judgment. Like the Bible talks about, judge not lest ye be judged. The context of that verse was to a hypocrite. Okay, he even said that in the verse. It says, ye hypocrites. Or there's another verse in Romans where it says, oh thou man, you know, thou art inexcusable that thou judges another. But again, what is the context of that verse? It is, if you read that verse a little bit further, it says, you that judge others do the same thing. Well, when you're judging somebody else and you're doing the same thing, that's hypocritical judgment. So see, when Jesus doesn't want us to judge, it's when we're doing it hypocritically. Like, I'm holier than thou, and, and I'm better than you, and you've got this beam in your own eye, and you're looking at the speck in your brothers. That is true. You're not supposed to judge in that situation. But aside from that, we need to be judging every single day, primarily judging ourselves first. And then judging the other things around us to see if they line up with Scripture, the Word of God, which is our foundation. And the Bible says, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? We need to be comparing Scripture to Scripture. These types of things. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. These types of things. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Those all verses came from Psalms 119. So, these are things we need to be doing on a daily basis. Now, going back to this article, it says, <clears throat> it will make this hate, these hate crimes, will make even the preaching and the teaching of, of the biblical prohibition against sodomy in the church of crime. Okay, so if you start speaking out against homosexuals, they're the driving force behind the hate crime bills. They really are, the homosexuals. They have prepositioned themselves in many places in government, in many, very, many places in high office, 
in many corporations and they have a lot of influence. Uh, if you were Satan and you had the power to give money to somebody or give wealth or power, who would you give it to? Well, if you were Satan being the most wicked entity in the universe, wouldn't you want to give that power and money to people on earth that were the most debased and wicked? Sure you would. Because they would, they would be more sold out for you than any other person. They're more demic, demonically infested than any other people walking around. People that are, particularly, you have homosexuals and then you get into the, the fact that, thir- that it's a documented fact that 33% of all pedophiles are also homosexuals. And that, that, that statistic may be very conservative. Well, that's a very disproportionate number of people uh, that are homosexuals, which supposedly only make up 2-3% to 3% of the population, but then 33% of all pedophiles are homosexuals. It's because that lifestyle begets more perversion. And they're demonically infested and taken over. Well, if you're Satan, wouldn't you want to give your money to somebody like that? Well, you might say, well, no, that's not true. Satan can't do that. He can't. Well, didn't he take Jesus up and set to a high place and, and show him all the kingdoms of the world? Say, just bow down to me and worship me and all this will be yours? You're telling me he doesn't have that ability to give wealth if he wants to? So, you know, just a little perspective there. So, but if past, if these hate crime bills pass, we will be following the practices of of the Union, I believe the European Union countries in Canada resulting in jailing of some clergymen. If these bills pass, freedom of speech will be gone forever. And, and then I'm going to go into right now an update, a hate crimes update that I sent out a little while back. And it was entitled... Uh, Pastors act now or prepare for jail. And this was from World Daily Net and by a lady named Janet Folger. This is of the Folger's Coffee fame. Her name's Folger. Uh, sorry, little little humor there. So, sorry about that. Anyway, um, okay. So we go further. A little, little dry humor. Very, very dry. Very dry. I'm feeling dry humor today. Uh, and, and again, we, we always like to interject a little bit of levity into these because this information is so heavy duty that we get into. I don't want to just totally be stoic about everything and act as though we're, you know, we can't joke around or have any type of humor at all with, with this type of information. I think if we don't laugh a little bit about these things, we go insane because this is really unfun stuff we talk about on a weekly basis, pretty much. And, and I wish it wasn't that way. It's not like I want to just report on negative stuff all the time. Unfortunately, the majority of what we're seeing coming out is negative, and the Bible predicted it was most likely going to be that way. So this, this lady, Janet Folger, reported on this April 24, 2007. She's, and then, again, she's talking about, um, she says, I've already told you about how H.R. 1592, now this is that that um, piece of legislation, H.R. 1592, how this legislation will destroy equal justice, setting up a gay, gay Gestapo with unlimited funds and send, and send grandmas to jail for sharing their faith on public sidewalks, as, as has already happened in Philadelphia. Now again, if you weren't familiar with that, what's just happened these two grandmas that got put in jail for... Uh, uh, Witnessing in Philadelphia on a sidewalk. Just email me and I'll send you this email. Um, and this email actually has a link to the story, the original story. 
Then it says, but what you may not know is how this bill will come after pastors and all those who disagree with the homosexual agenda. H.R. 1.1592, the so-called hate crimes bill, isn't about hate. It's about crimes. There are already stiff penalties against crimes, but it's more about speech. And actually we're going to see it's really more about thoughts. <laughs> it's going to get that bad. Forget theory. Let me give you the real world example. Here's a question. Which is worse? Action or words? Robbing someone or calling him a mean name? Which one deserves the greater penalty? Before, before you answer, let's say, let's say the name was really mean. Like, let's say the name that you were called was really a mean name. Like being called Four Eyes. Okay, because you wear glasses. Remember that one? Then she goes on to say, I played on the public school playground and I used to wear glasses. And I had been victimized personally by such horrific verbal assaults. They hurt my feelings. And, and there ought to be stiff penalties for something like that. And I think she's giving a hypothetical situation here. Okay, But the stiff penalty is, would that be something like 23 years behind bars for so calling somebody four eyes? Can, can you imagine that? 23 years behind bars for calling somebody four eyes. Then she goes on to say, I don't think so. But the state of New Hampshire does think this. I know what you're thinking. This can't be. We can't criminalize name calling. The public schools would be empty with everyone behind bars until their 30s. Oh, I left something out. The mean name in New Hampshire isn't four eyes, which is targeting the visually impaired. Um, or shorty, which would be targeting the uh, vertically challenged people. Now that's the, we, we want to be politically correct here because we don't want to call people short anymore. We want to call them vertically challenged. I don't know if you guys were aware of that in this recording, but we, if somebody's wearing glasses, don't call them four eyes. Call them visually impaired or physically, maybe visibly challenged. Okay. Or, you know, again, if you're too short, you're vertically challenged. Okay. So these are, these are things we have to be very careful of now. That, and again, I'm saying this tongue-in-cheek, okay, but um, just to give a, a, a point there. So, it says then, but what you may not know is how this bill, this is this HR uh, 1592, we already talked about this part. It, it, this gets into the crimes, okay, of, of what they believe are these hate crime speeches. Then, if we go into this a little bit further... It says we can't criminalize name calling, is what a lot of people would say. Public schools would be empty, everyone would be behind bars until the 30s. And then it says, it goes on to say that um, she left something out. I mean that in the state of New Hampshire, four eyes isn't, isn't the word that would be used that would throw you in jail. And it isn't fact so either. It would actually only apply... The only people protected from the mean names with the 23-year jail sentence are homosexuals. Those are the only ones out of public that you couldn't say anything about. I mean, the, the, I mean you could call somebody, if somebody had glasses on, you call them for us. It doesn't mean you're calling them something like, it doesn't mean that they're a deviant person because you call them four eyes. You're not, I mean, even if you call somebody fatso, it doesn't mean because you call them fatso, you call, um, that, that that would mean that they were a deviant person. Whereas a homosexual is a deviant personality, uh, a deviant person, a, a, a person that in the Bible, homosexuality was typically 
the the um, if you see judgment in the Bible in the Old Testament in particular, homosexuality was the the thing that if a, if a city or a town or a nation got to that point where they accepted it freely, God's judgment was never too far behind, never. Whereas there's no precedent in the in the Bible where you had a whole bunch of people with glasses on who were visually impaired that that ever brought judgment on anybody. So actually, I said all that to say this. We should be able to biblically call these things out and, and to not go around and making fun of people necessarily, but we should be able to speak truth okay, about a deviant lifestyle, these types of things. But they're going to be the only ones protected. Okay, under this hate crimes law. Then it goes on to say, robbing someone outside a convenience store is a class B felony in New Hampshire, which typically carries a sentence of three and a half to seven years in state prison with a $4,000 fine. But according to the assistant attorney, Roger Chadwick, if convicted of a hate crime, which would be shouting a homosexual, an anti-homosexual name, that would be a hate crime, the sentence then becomes enhanced by 23 to 26 and a half years. Turning a 3 year sentence into a 30 year sentence. So you can go rob a, uh, a convenience store. Theoretically, you rob a convenience store. And if you just rob the convenience store, you're looking at anywhere from a 3, three and a half to 6 year sentence. But if while robbing the, hate, the, the convenience store, you, you shout a homosexual, anti-homosexual slur at whoever you're robbing, then that's going to add another 23 years on. That's, you know, if this is an insanity, I don't know what is. Then she goes on to say, think about that for a minute. It's saying a mean anti-homosexual word adds an additional 23 to 26 and a half years to a sentence. And people live to be about 80 years old. That penalty is one-fourth of your life for just one time you said one phrase. One-fourth of your life. But while this was in addition to a robbery penalty, how much of a jump would that really be to penalize the speech infraction alone? And just what constitutes an anti-gay slogan? Would an anti-gay slogan be to say homosexuality is sin? Well, sure it would. Or homosexuals should repent? What if you inform someone that homosexuality is harmful to your health? I'll go one further. What, what, if you, what if you said to somebody that homosexuality is evil and you're going to go to hell? Because the Bible is very clear on that. You know, the Bible talks about there's no, there's no effeminate person, no, the lovers of mankind, what it talks about in Romans 1. You know, they will not enter into the kingdom of God. Period. Okay? Now, I'm not saying a gay person couldn't get saved. It would probably be the hardest classification of somebody to get saved. And there is a good, there is a good likelihood that that person has been turned over to a reprobate mind. And maybe the, the, um, the drawing of the Holy Spirit is not there anymore. I mean, because God just doesn't give you infinite numbers of chances to get saved. He doesn't continually keep knocking on the door of your heart and give you infinite numbers of chances. And for you to hope that maybe you'll get saved on your death. It doesn't work that way. You better get saved while you can. Because unless the Holy Spirit draw you, you're not going to get saved. Because it's not of yourself that you even get saved. Yes, it's your choice. But you can't save yourself. Only the Holy Spirit. So, only through the Holy Spirit. 
through the Lord Jesus Christ, His shed blood, His death, burial, and resurrection, and your belief on that, and you're turning your life over to Him, you repenting, you you basically making Him Lord and Savior over your life. That's how you get saved, okay? And again, that's that's not really the I'm not doing the salvation thing justice there. And if you have any questions about that, please email me, and I'll get you the full study um, on the whole uh, on salvation. But these are things that that are good to. Uh, Good to kind of bring up as we talk about this. This article goes on to say, "What if you were informed, um, some someone that homosexuality is harmful, harmful to your health? If I were you, I wouldn't try it in New Hampshire." Folger wrote. Folger's organization, Faith to Action, has launched a series of ads about Philadelphia's grandmothers who were thrown in jail in Pennsylvania under that state state's hate crime laws and face the possibility of 47 years in jail for witnessing one time on the sidewalk in Pennsylvania. And what was this for? Testifying in public about their Christian faith? It's coming. Now the ads can be viewed at StopHateCrimesNow.com It's one word. StopHateCrimesNow.com if you want to go check this out further. Or if not, email me and I'll, I'll email you this, this email that I'm reading off. So you can just click in the links. This next article is entitled, Hate Crime Laws Leave Churches at Risk. Your pastor and pastors across the U.S. could be facing any homosexual conspiracy charges if some in Congress have their way. New hate crimes legislation, now on fast track in Congress, would mark the first time in our history that sexual orientation and gender identity were elevated to a protected status under federal law. Can you imagine a protected status? It's like an endangered species in the wild, you know. They've got to protect these, these, these sodomites, these homosexuals that are, you know, and this just doesn't include, this would include the transgender, all of the perverse stuff that you, that you could run into, okay. <clears throat> it says if it happens, pastors could be going to jail. Here's how. Uh, the law firm, the Liberty Council, have produced a legal memorandum outlining how pastors could be charged. Now, again, there's right there's a link in this that I can send you, where's a petition, an e-petition you can sign, where you could, um, you know, protesting against this. And I highly recommend you do these things. I mean, a, a lot of times, what I would recommend also is there's a little program you can get online. It's called RoboForm. In RoboForm, what it does is it fills all your forms in for you. Now, I've been using this for quite a while, and it works really well. And what it does is, is it greatly simplifies you going up to these sites where you can be proactive, because with a, literally a, a couple mouse clicks, you can have all these forms filled out instantaneously, which is really nice. I don't have time to sit up there and type out every one of these forms. And... Um, it's something that will save you a lot of time and it will make it a lot easier for you to be proactive on the internet with this type of stuff. And when, if you do have time to actually call the senators and the congressmen because that does count. You know, when you call, they don't just register that like one person's calling. They view that, that they know that if some one person calls, that that's representative of like, I don't know, 500 or like 1,000 people. Okay, so your, your voice is actually amplified when you actually will either write you know, Congress or, or these types of things or actually call them on the phone. Emailing them is probably one of the least effective as far as what they count 
how they would count that out. So the more proactive you are, the more the more representative of the populace they believe that that would be. And that's just a little side note for people to know. It goes on here, uh, and it says, In short, if a court finds that your pastor's preaching has led to someone committing a hate crime, look at, so now here we go, here's the leap of logic. What if you go to a church and your pastor's preaching on, and he's preaching the Bible, okay? He's preaching against uh, homosexual lifestyle. Right out of the Bible. And you could go to the New Testament and do this, as well as the Old. And that person goes out there and, and supposedly does something that's construed as a hate crime. Then the pastor can actually be blamed now. That's, um, so, that's because many state conspiracy laws only require that the crime be committed was a natural and foreseeable consequence of your pastor's preaching. Now, if you're a 501c3, you should not be preaching against homosexual lifestyles. Now, again, if you don't believe me, listen to the um, teaching from last week, where, where I believe it was entitled FEMA, uh, is, is, um, uh, FEMA and Homeland Security are, are now, the churches are now part of FEMA and Homeland Security, where we, where we talk about this much more in depth. And email me and I'll get you the, the full study on that particular subject. And so it goes on to say, in other words, if someone hears your pastor preach that homosexuality is a sin, and that person then gets charged for the hate crime, your pastor could be charged as a conspirator to the hate crime. And this is just the beginning of the threat that the new hate crimes legislation poses. The Liberty Council memo then shows how the step would be inexorably led to the full acceptance of homosexual marriage, along with the draconian restrictions on free speech and religion religion rights of Christians. So that's that's another little update. Now here's a, here's one. Here's one that really, you know, I, I was I couldn't believe these poor Muslims had to endure this. Now right now I'm looking at a picture of a of a bunch of Muslims and this was this was recently and this in fact this is part of the, the email that I'll send you if you ask me about the Muslim email. And it shows this picture of all these Muslims. I mean, they all look demon-possessed. I'm sorry. Every one of them, to me. Now, I'm not, I'm not sitting here saying I'm better. or I'm, 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 just, I'm just telling you, these people look evil. Well, if you're in a religion, and that religion is, and, and most religions are this, unfortunately, because most religions are well, the primary reason why people go to hell, because they bought into some false religion. But this particular religion really thrives in the, in the, in the, um, in the area of hate. The spirits that emanate and operate... And you can't say that of every religion. You can't really say that more like some religions, like maybe, oh, I don't know, Hinduism or whatever, these, these religions that you know kind of try to go with the flow. This religion really, really is steeped in hate. And it shows up on the faces of the people. And I'm looking at this, this picture, and uh, this is this big rally, okay, in, in, um, in this... I forget what this was over. I think it was... Something over where the, that cartoon ad that ran that was kind of disparaging in the Muslim faith, and you know it's okay to say anything. The Muslims can say anything in the world about anybody else, as we're going to see, but you cannot do or say one thing against their stinking satanic religion. Nothing against Allah, the devil, moon god Allah. You can't say anything about that. Oh, I am right now though. So you know, hey, whatever. 
You know, it, it, um, they're gonna they're gonna have a rude awakening when Christ returns. And I pray to God they repent. And I pray to God they get saved, if it be possible, because it says God, it's God's will that not one would perish, but that all would come to repentance. But these people need to be dealt with, um, or they will never get saved. In and of themselves, they will never repent. That's why the Bible says godly sorrow leadeth thee to repentance. These people need to repent before they could possibly get saved. So, um, uh, oh, do you want to... So, getting back to this little study here on this, and again, this is, this is uh, I'm not going to get into a big study here on the Muslims and the Islam and that. We've, we've done that before, but uh, this is... I'm looking at a picture here, and you've got all these Muslims lined up, and they're in this barricade. And one of the one of their posters says, "Slay those who insult Islam." And this was in result of this cartoon that ran, you know. And then it says, "Europe, you will pay. Demolition is on its way." And then another one says, "Behead those who insult Islam." And then another one says, "Butcher those who mock Islam." And then another one says, "Europe, you will pay." Your extermination is on its way. Oh, isn't this nice? How catchy. And then, then this other lady wearing a full burqa, which is the what they wear, the women wear. Now, the reason, if you ever see a woman totally covered in one of these burqas, and you only see her eyes, those are the really, really, really strict, fundamental Islamic women. And she's, she has holding a sign, and she's dressed totally in black. All you can see is her eyes, and it says, Be prepared for the real Holocaust. And, I mean, this is a real religion of love. And a lot of times this makes me so stinking sick when I hear people say, Islamic people get on, oh, you've got it all wrong. Islam is a religion of love. What a lie from the pit of hell. That's why the Quran says, slay all those that that are infidels. And and all these horrific proclamations they make. And look, it just comes out. But see, it's okay for them to say all this, to butcher and kill. And you can't say one disparaging word against Islam. But if we say anything, oh, that's when they show up in the streets in numbers. But it, but just remember, it's a religion of peace and a religion of love. We 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 have to be able to accept that they are, you know, real loving loving people. Uh, so it, the hypocrisy of this satanic, demon possessed religion is unparalleled. I, I would say in the world that I'm just talking about the hypocrisy of it. Okay. Uh, you know, at least if you're in the first church of Satan, they're pretty much open about what they believe about Satanism. They're not, they're not near as hypocritical as these people. Well, this article is entitled... Oh, anyway, but I, I meant to tell you just a little as a side note. The reason that they wear, and I've said this before, but the reason they wear these burqas where you'll only see the eyes, they believe that if there's any hair showing on their head, this is, these are the women, these are the strict Islamic women, that if there's any hair showing, that every hair represents a dagger that's going directly into Allah's eye. That's why they wear those things. Just so you know. That's why they do this. Okay? Because you always kind of, well, why are they all dressed up all covered up? Are they just being modest? No, that's actually the reason, if the truth be known. So this is entitled, Hate Crimes in Maine. Did you know, Doug, there was a hate crime in Maine recently? This was April 20th of this year. What was the hate crime? Ham steak was placed on a table where Muslims were sitting. 
I mean, I don't know what the world's coming to. I, I just about, you know, I about went into a fetal position. When I, when I saw this, I was so upset. This is April 20th. Quote, death to Israel. Scrawled on the wall of the synagogue. Uh, oh, that's only... Death to Israel. Scrawled on the wall of the synagogue. Okay. Oh, that's only a possible hate crime. What we just said there. But now, if you place ham steak on a table full of Muslims, now that's a clear hate crime. So see, you can say, again, you can say all this stuff, kill all those, behead those, butcher those who, who say anything against Islam. That's not a hate crime. That's okay. But if you put ham steak on a table where Muslims are sitting in Maine, that's definitely a clear hate crime. Clear. And again, look at the hypocrisy of all this. Woe unto them that call good evil and, and evil good. That's what the Bible says. Woe unto them. And so, this hate crime is, is merits the severest possible punishment now. Now, this was reported by the Sun Journal by uh, reporter Bonnie Washuk. And uh, this article says, quote, One student has been suspended and more disciplinary action could follow a possible hate crime in Lewiston Middle School, Superintendent Leon Levesque said Wednesday. On April 11th, a white student placed a ham steak in a bag on a lunch table where some Somali students were, were eating. Muslims consider pork unclean and offensive. The school incident is being treated seriously as a, quote, hate incident. Levasque said, Lewiston police are investigating. The police are investigating. Is this stinking insanity? Lewiston police are investigating and a Center for the Prevention of Hate Violence is working with the school to create a response plan. Why don't you just take them all out and gut shoot them? You know? What? Isn't that, isn't that reasonable? Just Let's just gut shoot them. Maybe torture, torturous death in front of the whole school of the kids so that nobody would ever, ever dare do anything like this again. Where does it end? So then it says, we've got some work to do and turn, and turn this around and br to turn this around and bring the school community back together. This this Levis guy said, placing hams where Muslim students were eating was an awful thing, said Stephen Weisler, executive director of the Center for Prevention of Hate and Violence. He's probably homosexual too, you know. It's extraordinarily hurtful and downgrading to Muslims whose religion prohibits them from being around ham. Oh boy, I just, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do with myself. They might get their little feelings hurt. It's okay for them to march in the streets with all these signs, making death threats to everybody. That's okay. That's perfectly acceptable in America. But, oh, heaven forbid we put a piece of ham on one of their tables. Because all hell's going to break loose then. And, you know, it, it's just insane. Then it goes on to say, incidents, incidents like, th like this that involve degrading language or, con or conduct are often said by the perpetrator as a joke. I know that that conduct is never static. Whatever that means. He says it's part of a process of escalation. In other words, it's not static. We know if it's going to be ham steak today, it may be you're a bad Muslim tomorrow. Maybe saying something like that. You know. 
So, then it says, if people think insulting Muslims with ham is okay, quote, more degrading acts will follow. Until at some point we'll end up having violence. Well, this is how the Muslims are brought up. They want violence. <laughs> this is how they operate. They want violence. Now I'm going to go through this next article, because we've already covered quite a bit of this hate crime thing. Um, this is an article, a quote from an article entitled Christians in the Bullseye. Arlene Alshanaway, 75, a grandmother of three, was, was holding a sign. Truth is hate to those who hate the truth. That is so true. I mean, truth is hate to those who hate the truth. I mean, unbelievable. It's totally true. This was a quote from Congress uh, denying equal protection, uh, an article entitled that. It says, quote, quote, practitioners of homosexuality, cross-dressing, transvestitism, and transsexualism become federally protected minority groups. Just like if you're uh, black or some minority race, you'd now become a federally protected minority group. But see, the blacks didn't have a choice of being black when they were born. Or an oriental didn't either. Okay, but a... Um, or let's say you were born a dwarf or something like that. That's okay. That's, but these are, these are people that have made their own decisions to participate in this, own, in this own perverted, perverse lifestyle. They've made their own free will choices. They got nobody but their self. I mean, okay, I understand that a lot of times there's extenuating circumstances. But the bottom line, they still made the choices. Okay. But that would be now under a pr protected minority group, which is what they want, because then they can then really anything goes. Then, then this next quote says, "The notion of hate crime has now been established in English law. Thanks to the mullahs, anyone daring to subject the Muslim faith to the same kind of harsh analysis brought to bear in Christianity or Judaism could be convicted of a hate crime." Now, again, let's read this again. Thanks to the mullahs, anyone daring to subject the Muslim faith to the same kind of harsh analysis brought by the Muslims on Christianity or Judaism, anyone doing that could be convicted of a hate crime. See how hypocritical this whole thing is? It's okay for them to say every evil thing about the Christians and, and the... Uh, that's okay. But you can't do it against them. You know, And this is a religion that, that is totally contrary to really... You know what America would have, would surely should be standing for. It's not really not standing for much of anything good now, but what it was at one point. Okay, now I get this. This article that I'm quoting from here was entitled "Why Hate Crime Laws Would Ban Biblical Christianity." It's by a guy named Barrett Kajos, K J O S. It was uh, this was just written uh, May second, two thousand seven. Now. He goes on to say that this legislation, now again, this is H.R. 1592, and then Senate Bill, now uh, it, uh, let me give you the full titles of these. H.R. 1592 is entitled Local Law Enforcement Hate Crimes Prevention Act of 2007. And the Senate Bill 1105 is called the Matthew Shepard Local Law Enforcement Hate Crimes Prevention Act of 2007. It's like the longer the word they can get, the more, I don't know, impressive it sounds. I don't know what it, what's up with that. 
So this goes on to say this legislation may be the most ominous attack on free speech and Christianity since the founding of the nation. I, I agree. Yet the silence of the mainstream media is disturbing. It suggests that many of our most powerful leaders want these bills passed behind closed doors, freed from any public accountability. Even so, the public is awakening to the facts. On April 25, 2007, a House of Representatives committee approved a measure to add homosexuality to the list of groups protected by hate crimes laws. The Senate has prepared a twin bill, Senate, one, Senate Bill 1105, except for the addition of the name Matthew Shepard, its title is the same. Matthew Shepard, few Americans could miss the shocking details of this young homosexual's horrible death in 1998. The media published the story 3,007 times. 45 times in the New York Times alone. It made Matthew a martyr for the cause of gay rights, hate crimes legislation, and anti-Christian sentiment. Did you read about Jesse Dirkshing's torture and murder at the hands of two homosexual lovers 11 months later? Probably not. The 13-year-old boy was drugged, strapped down, sodomized, tortured, and killed by two adults living in an apartment that reeked of excrement and was littered with drug paraphernalia. Like Matthew's murder, it was a horrible crime, almost unfit to print. But that's not what most newspapers across the country because they refused to even tell the story. The real reason? It didn't fit their agenda. It wasn't politically correct. Nor is the Bible. Its unchanging standards cannot be adapted to the new global guidance for holistic spirituality and political correct tolerance. Even when 11 Christians shared the gospel, as well as warning other homosexuals during Philadelphia's 2004 homosexual, quote, outfest, they were promptly arrested and temporarily detained and charged under Pennsylvania's hate crimes legislation. A crime? This, does this line up with the Fast Tracks hate crimes bill in Congress? And if so, why? A quick review of H.R. 1592 might at first suggest a negative answer. And the corresponding Senate bill defines hate crimes as, quote, in general, whoever, whether or not acting under the color of law in any circumstance described... This is, this is legalese. I'm not even going to read it, okay? Because they will veil things and things of this nature where you can't even understand. It's not clear, okay? But suffice it to say, they're going, they're, they're going after the Christians big time. Um, and I believe they know that the Bible has many, any, any homosexual things in there. And that's the very reason. It's one, one way they can get to us very easily. So... It says, you might argue the boy neither caused nor intended bodily injury. Now, I'm not, I'm not 100% sure what... I guess that was the, the boy that we had referenced earlier. And then this article goes on to say, true, but consider another key word, one that's part of both bills. And that is the all-important word, is prevention. We're looking at Hate Crimes Prevention Act. That's, now that's super important. This is hate crimes prevention. Not simply a law against hate crimes. And the concept of, pre pre and the concept of prevention or preemption is open-ended. Its wide range of interpretations could be used in almost any situation to silence offending voices and to intimidate critics of useful protected groups such as homosexuals and Muslims long before any signs of actual violence. Oh, that's even worse. For example, a Canadian pastor 
was concerned about the overt promotion of Islam at the local high school. It not only distributed copies of the Quran, it also offered Muslim students a room for prayer during school hours. Of course, Christian and Jewish students had no such freedom. But when Pastor Mark Harding began, this is unbelievable. I'm about to read. When Pastor Mark Harding began handing out leaflets protesting the strange favoritism, he was charged with willfully promoting hatred. End of quote. Having violated a new Canadian hate crimes law, he was sentenced to 340 hours of community service at the Islamic School of North America. Talk about rubbing your nose in it. You know? This pastor, he's got sense, they sent this guy to 340 hours. That's a lot. 340, that's a 40 hour work week. It's a 40 hour work that's considered a full work week. Full, that's a lot. I mean, you're looking at... Um, well, I mean, that's that would almost be that would be over eight full-time work weeks to put it in perspective. That much hours. So that's what he was sentenced to. If they did that, I'll be honest. If they did it to me, just throw me in jail because I'm not going to serve it. I will not do. You, there is no way I would do it. And I, I think we as Christians need to take that type of stand. I mean, are we going to resist? Unto death. Are we going to resist unto blood? I, and and I, I really believe the time is coming when we're going to have to... Because that is... I'm sorry, but the very fact that he would serve that time is, is in a way compromising. And I, and I mean, yeah, the guy took a great stand. And I, and I appreciate that. But would God have called him to serve out that sentence? Well, the Bible says obey the law of the land. Not if it contradicts the Bible, it doesn't. Because if the law of the land contradicts the Bible, it's a bad law. And we have got, we have been imposed all these laws and laws and laws. And so many of them are totally unjust and totally unbiblical. Well, is it better obey God than man? I think the, the Bible is very clear on this. Choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's what Joshua said. So I'm not encouraging everybody to go out there and break the law. But I'm saying that, you know, there's going to be coming a time in probably the near future in America where you're going to be put in this position. And I'm not saying this because I think I'm Mr. Big and Bad. I'm going to go out there and do all these mighty things and, and I'm going to show everybody. And No, I would do it through the Lord and as the Lord leads. And if it's biblical, okay, and rely on Him. But... <laughs> My first thought when I read that is there's no way I would do no 340 hours of community service at the Islamic Society of North America. You know? It'd be one thing too if the Islamic people who are immersed in hate, who bring their kids up in hate, who if, if, this, were, if this same standard were applied to them, they'd all be in jail in America. They'd all be in jail. It'd be one thing if they were getting the same treatment that Christians would be getting. But that's not happening at all. The hypocrisy of this is unbelievable and unparalleled. So then it says, Pastor Harding claimed to be motivated by love for the Muslim students, not hate. In other words, the reason he gave out these leaflets. According to World Daily Net, he expressed that love in a recorded... According to World Daily Net, he expressed that love in a recorded phone call. Yet his own phone was swamped with more than 3,000 real hate crime calls. Including many death threats from Muslims. See, that was okay. But this other thing, oh, no, 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 we can't say anything against the Muslims. No, 
Get that ham away from them. That might offend them. Now stop it. You know, we can't do any of that. But he got 3,000 phone calls. Hate crime. Death threats. Some of them were death threats. But that was okay. That was okay. Nothing like a good double standard, you know? When his trial began, the police had to protect him from the crowds of Muslims chanting, Infidels, you will burn in hell! Oh, but that was okay. Then he goes on to say, what was going on? Who's, who's behind this unequal and borderless protection system? Well, the United Nations, of course. The UN has established a massive worldwide interagency program of prevention. Quote, prevention. Through the coordinated efforts of UNESCO, the World Health Organization, the World Bank, what would they have anything to do with this? Well, they're one of the main driving forces behind the New World Order. The love of money is the root of all evil. Well, who controls the money? Well, the banks, the uncorrupt, the corrupt, unjust banking system of this world. Unjust scales and balances, which the Bible talks about in Proverbs, that God abhors an unjust scale and balance. And that's all the banking systems are. Are unjust scales and balances. If you have any question about that, please email me. So, through the coordinated efforts of, of these organizations and countless other United Nations agencies, its agenda is transforming not only beliefs and values everywhere, but also schools, churches, communities, and nations. Words, words like war and genocide have been used for more than 50 years to persuade the world to participate in peace-building ventures that would create a climate of prevention everywhere. The cultural atmosphere is defined by UN declarations such as UNESCO's Declaration on Tolerance and Declaration of Principles on Religion in a Culture of Peace. Oh, doesn't that sign nice? <coughs> the United Nations policy of prevention requires lifelong learning and relearning, group learning and service learning. <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah, they're, and I guarantee you they're going to have these, these regional centers to program people in the proper way of thinking. Programming them through torture, through mind control, through drugs, through whatever means they want to use. Maybe electric shock. That'll be okay. Because we need to, you know, hey, we need to get on, on board and line up with the status quo and, you know, uh, belly up to Satan's bar and basically, you know, get right with Satan. He has to have total subservience to his plan. So anyway, we go on with this a little bit further. Continual progress must be measured through unceasing assessments that monitor compliance with new global standards for human resource development. What counts is progress toward the envisioned solidarity? See, again, there's got to be a one world religion, one world political system, one world currency. That's called solidarity of everybody. Everybody's going to be solidarity. Is basically everybody's going to have to be on the same big... Everybody's going to have to be on the same satanic page. Okay? A global community where no one takes a stand contrary to the UN ideology and where everyone is willing to compromise their beliefs. Comp compromise. Hey, that's that's what it's all. That's what this is all about. Where everyone's willing. Hey, the Muslims had to compromise. I mean, why aren't you 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 stinking Christians? What what what's wrong with you? You need to get on board. You think you're better? 
You say your God says that you're the, you're, He's the only way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father by Him. Well, that's hate crime. Because you're basically condemning all the other religions to hell. Hey, it's not my Bible. Your argument's with God, not me. And that's where we're going with all this. So, they... They, they go on to say, we need to seek common ground and flow with the group consensus. Sounds like the modern day lukewarm church movement of the emerging church. Where we're not going to look at what our differences are. We're going to look at what our common ground is. We're going to start to get yoked up with all the religions and get on the same big satanic page. Then it says, while biblical Christianity hinders such universal solidarity, the war against hate supports it. After all, it provides the incentive needed to intimidate and persuade the masses that they must change and conform. Religion, this is a quote from, well this is all reference this article. It says, religion has affected and sometimes poisoned the relations between majorities and minorities. Extreme doctrinaire views look to an imagined past seen as both simpler and more stable, thus preparing the ground not only for a variety of overtly violent attacks, and they're referring here to Christianity, this is going to provoke overtly violent attacks, but also for the intimidation of individuals and indeed entire communities in matters of thought, behavior, and belief, coercing them into acceptable, a single orthodox point of view. The challenge today as it is in the past, is to distinguish between beliefs and activities of peace of the peaceful majority and a minority of extremists. This goes on to say, some of the same warnings have been sounded by the respective founding fathers of UNESCO and World Health Organizations. Both were determined to wipe out the poisonous certainties of biblical Christianity in a quest for UN solidarity. This was a quote by this Dr. Chisholm back in 1946. It says, We must find and take sure steps to prevent wars in the future. The reinterpretation and the eventual eradication of the concept of right and wrong, which has been the basis of child training, these are belated objectives of practically all effective psychotherapy. The pretenses made by uncompromising Christians who cling to old standards that that to do away with right and wrong would produce uncivilized people, immorality, lawlessness, and social chaos. So what they're basically saying is, is we got to take out all concepts of right and wrong because that's just wrong, and and it's been the it's been the basis of child rearing, and that's just wrong too. I mean, yeah, let the little guy, let the little devils grow up any way they want, let them do whatever they want, and you watch how they turn out. You just raise your kid that way, and you won't, you just watch how they turn out. You know, Mr. Dr. Spock and all this other stuff. Um, you know, these were things and tools put into the society to ruin the youth. Because if you can ruin the youth, the, the youth eventually grow up. And then they're ruined. And then they have kids. And they're even worse. So, this is what their goal is. <clears throat> when it says, then he goes on with this quote and says, When infectious diseases were attacked at the preventative level, some martyrs had to be sacrificed to the cause of humanity. Now, what they're getting at here is, is that Christians are an infective, infectious disease and there's going to have to be some martyrs of the Christian faith persuasion that are going to have to be eradicated for the good of humanity. That's what they're saying here. 
Okay? It says, because reactionary forces fought back, the problem is no longer the germ of diphtheria, but rather the attitudes of parents who are capable of accepting and using proven knowledge for protection of their children. Oh, what, is this science we're talking about here? Is this, is this psychiatry? Is this Dr. Spock or um, uh, Freud or Carl Jung, all of these unsaved, undone, basically occultists, if the truth be known? Many of them were, 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 were homosexuals and pedophiles. These types, that's who I want really giving me advice about how to raise my kids. You know, that's really who I would turn to. Surely the training of, of children in home and school should be of the least, at least of greatest concern as, as, it, as their vaccinations. That's a whole other story, vaccinations. Please email me if you have any questions about vaccinations. Do you realize that there's about 13 vaccinations right now that are cultured from aborted babies? Aborted babies. I am not making this up. I can prove it to you. If you look in the PDR, which is the physician's desk reference, they are cultured off aborted fetal tissue. What they, actually, they refer to them as human diploid cells. So it's another way of saying it more politically correct. And you're injecting these vaccinations into your kids, and they're cultured off aborted babies, and they have things like chicken embryos. Some of them are cultured off uh, uh, green Reese's monkey kidneys. I'm not making this stuff up. A lot of them have formaldehyde in there, which is what we embalm people with. They have detergents. Uh, Mercury, all these horrific hodgepodge witchcraft—it's it's like a witch's brew, you know, of things—and you're injecting that into the body. Anyway, that's a whole other subject, but I can get you the information on that too if you email me. And then it says, for the very survival of large parts of the human race, world understanding, tolerance, and forbearance must become absolutely essential. If it cannot be done gently, it may have to be done roughly or even violently. Oh, it's okay. Oh, I thought this was all about peace and gentleness. Well, as long as you follow their agenda, yeah, that's what we're going to say to you, when in reality that's all wise too. But, you know something, if you don't go along with the status quo, we may have to rough you up in very, very severe ways. Today, more than half a century later, the world is rapidly conforming to the UN agenda, touted by these these. Chisholm and Huxley of the 1940s. The global network of lifelong learning aims to prevent anything that would hinder positive collective thinking. Few notice how effectively its tentacles now reach into the community of mental health programs in over 130 nations around the world. Huh, positive, and mental health programs. Huh, I wonder if that's one of the reasons why they're trying to get us all medicated up. Because, you know, when you take these psychotropic meds, like these ones that control thought patterns, particularly Prozac and Zoloft and these types of things, they control your thought patterns. They affect the way you think. I don't see any biblical precedents at all for taking these types of drugs. I don't. Well, you don't understand, Brother Johnson. I'm so depressed and all these other things. Do you realize you're participating in the realm of pharmakia, which is where we derive the root word for sorcery in the Bible? I just put out an email on this the other day. Pharmakia is the root word for sorcery in the Bible. It's where we get the word pharmacy and pharmacist. Particularly if you're taking drugs that alter mind and thought patterns, you're dealing with the area of sorcery. 
This is why occultists always, almost always involve themselves in the use of drugs and alcohol and things of this nature in order to open themselves up to these spirits that they conjure up and invoke through witchcraft ceremonies. This is how it all works. I'm not making this stuff up. So you better be real careful if you're on what they call psychotropic meds. These meds that actually, particularly the ones that control thought patterns. I mean, can, is it possible to drug your body into good health? Is it possible? Think about that. Just, just dwell on that for a little bit. Yeah, we were just talking a little bit here about that. And it just, there's just, we just haven't been able to find the book, chapter, verse where Jesus or any of the, the apostles ever said, you know, you, know, you, know, you got you to get on these meds. You, I mean, if it's really, really bad, you know, you got to get on these meds in order to cope. And it's just, it's not there. You know, and, and hey, listen, I'm not saying that none of us would ever battle bouts of, of, of this or that or feeling a certain way. We're going to walk around just chipper all the time and everything's going to be great, especially in the t- day and times we're living in. Okay, I understand that. So again, well, come let us reason together, say it the Lord. I'm not going to, but to resort to medications that are, that are totally influencing and affecting your thought patterns. And these medications have horrific side effects. And I believe these medications do open you up, just like they would if you took them in the occult, to spirits. Do you realize that the people, most of the people that have done these, these mass shootings um, in the last 10, 15 years, have all, most of them have been on Prozac? Most of them. These remember those all the postal shootings that took place. All those all those people were on Prozac. Uh, the Columbine shootings, Prozac. I mean, all of these connected links to the drug Prozac and these mind-altering meds. It it totally makes your risk of suicide go through the roof. But why would you take a drug that makes your risk of suicide go through the roof when when you're taking it for depression? That doesn't make any sense to me. Hey, the devil is good at what he does. And all these drug commercials and all the things like that. And again, this is a whole other subject, but I thought it interesting that this that these people that are that are implementing this behavioral uh, way that we have to think are heavily participating in the mental health programs of about 130 nations around the world. That doesn't surprise me at all. During his 1997 White House conference on hate crimes, former President Clinton suggested that the Justice Department will make its own hate crimes. Uh, hate crimes training curriculum available. A lot of hate crimes still go unreported. If a crime is unreported, that gives people an excuse to ignore it. This is President, good old President Clinton. Then he announced a Justice Department website that invites children to tell trusted adults about hateful or exclusive attitudes they see in their relatives at home or in the fr- so, so, so bring up little Johnny be a little narc. Do you know? Do you ever see those dare programs they have in school? Dare, where they've got like the big lion and he walks around, big stuffed animal. You know what that is? It's a narc program. And when I say narc, I mean narking somebody out, meaning. Tattletailing, telling on your own parents. If they're doing something that you're learning in school, your little brainwashing public school system, and you get educated, well, my mommy and daddy are doing that. Oh, you need you need to tell Dare because that's that's a hate crime, Johnny, and they need to be rehabilitated. That's what we're coming to. We're coming into this Orwellian time period where this is going to be common practice. Hard to believe? 
It makes sense when you consider the history of the United Nations. Ponder the words of Federico Mayer, former director of UNESCO. Quote, we have witnessed the growth of fundamentalism and of religious and ethnic intolerance. Now this is, this is truly in reference to Christianity, if the truth be known. The roots of exclusion and hatred have shown themselves even deeper and more tenacious than we feared. All those terrible Christians, they're just going around doing all these hateful things, making the world a horrific place to live. Then he goes on to say, peace requires, in the words of the Constitution, quote, intellectual and moral solidarity of mankind, end of quote. That's not what the Bible says. So you just got to, everything that I'm saying, all you really need to do is go back and compare it to the Bible. Does it line up with the Bible? And obviously this is totally contradictory to the Bible. And um, that's, not our, that's not our fault as Christians. That's the word of God. Their argument is with God. Okay? But they don't see it that way. They think they know better. And they have our best interests at heart. They could care less. If the truth be known, the people at the top view all these people as useless eaters, as chattel, as a means to an end, as a population that needs to be dominated, controlled. That's it. They can care less about you. Today's well-funded champions for boundless sexual freedom are fighting an all-out war, those who would resist that. Their efforts are pushing America toward inconceivable lawlessness, bondage to their own sensuality, and social chaos, which will surely be countered by more intensified surveillance and control. You know, I bet you hate crimes were, were um, banned in Sodom and Gomorrah too. Look what happened to them. That's what's coming to America. I'm not saying God's going to literally rain down fire and brimstone, but I'm telling you, judgment's coming. It's got to be. God always judges sin. And homosexuality and child sacrifice are the two major things God, that will always bring about God's judgment. Well, when you've got 40, probably around 45 plus million abortions, since Roe versus Wade, and you've got the homosexual movement expanding, and now when they implement the hate crimes, what what choice does God have? We've put him in a position where he has no choice but to judge us. And as I said this week, and I sent out this email, it's called The Valley of Acor for a Door of Hope by Pastor Weaver. That judgment is actually our hope as a Christian. And I know that sounds kind of funny on the surface. Please email me and I will forward you that sermon. It's a sermon every single Christian on the planet needs to hear. And it's a sermon that's never preached in the churches. And when that sermon was preached to me about three, three and a half years ago, personally by the man that you're going to hear on this thing, it changed my life. And it was a pure confirmation of what God was already showing me. Yet I never really got this in the churches. Not to say not all churches, but rarely will you ever hear this message preached. And it's totally biblical. So we go a little further. There are no respecters of persons. Even Marine General Peter Pace, war hero and chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, is under rapid fire assault from his extreme left flank. He's, this is all kind of puns and stuff and ways writing this. They say his crime, when interviewed by the Chicago Tribune, he said homosexual acts between two individuals are immoral. Oh, good for him. But then, the backlash was unbelievable. Uh, not surprisingly, many of those uh, the the backlash against this guy was just unbelievable. Uh, this this article goes on to say they are radically 
They are the radical homosexual lobby. Theirs is a carefully orchestrated and skillfully executed scheme not to only undermine, but to abolish from public, public discourse any words or even thoughts which might stem from the traditional Judeo-Christian worldview upon which our nation was founded. Well, that's a little tiny bit questionable, but... Suffice it to say, that's, that was his take on this whole thing. Uh, they're wanting to outlaw all of this, these homosexuals, who are really the ones that are behind the hate crime laws. Because they don't want anybody pointing out their sin. They want to be able to do as they please, as they please, when they please, to whoever they please, and you don't say a stinking thing about it. The Muslims are the same way. Okay? So... Um, this is the day and time we're living in. Then it goes on to say, their agenda is to mandate that only a secular humanist worldview may be properly entertained or referenced. The worldview is one in which morality is entirely relative. And any reference to traditional notions of natural human sexuality, the natural family, or any fixed lines of demarcation between right and wrong would be considered hateful. No, it's biblical, not hateful, biblical. Discriminatory and a strict strictly pro, uh, forbidden uh, discriminatory and is to be strictly forbidden by law. Man, can't you wait till Jesus Christ comes back, sets up his kingdom on the world? This is just this is this is insane. It really is. Then we go on, it says dangerous America's dangerous drift brings sobering consequences. Long ago God warned us that when a people mock his ways, he will give them over to their own futile resources. Actually, they're given over to a reprobate mind. Rejecting his guidelines, they lose his protection and are driven by their passions of their own capricious nature. Notice the descent into depravity and social chaos. And um, I'll just read this real quick here. So we're just going to go through this, this uh, verse in Romans. Romans 1, starting at uh, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Now that's the... That's the applies to so many people nowadays. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And changed the glory of God of the uncorruptible God into an image made like unto corruptible man unto birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things wherefore God gave them up to their own uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between them who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the creator and this is the modern new age movement where they worship the creature more than the creator who is blessed and forever amen for this cause God gave them up to their own vile affections for even their women did change the natural use the natural use into that which is against nature. Now this would be like lesbians. Okay, they're changing the natural use of their bodies. And likewise also men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust one toward another. And this is gay homosexual stuff. I cannot relate 
to how a man can burn in lust to another man. I don't understand it. But evidently, you get demon-possessed like this, that's what they want. Men with men working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves the recompense of the air which was meat. Now that word meat means fit or proper. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, now this is exactly why they want the hate crimes, because they don't want to retain God in their knowledge. They don't want anything that's going to remind them of this Holy One of Israel, of the Word of God, that there might be judgment for their sin. They don't want any of that. They didn't like to retain God in their knowledge. God, well, what did God do then? God gave them over to a reprobate mind. To do those things which are not convenient. And the word convenient there would mean not proper. Okay, or fit. So God will give you over a reprobate mind. I mean, He's going to let you have it your way. If you want to live like the devil, He'll let you have it for a time. Being filled with all unrighteousness, wicked... Uh, Unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliceness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable. Implacable would be like you can't be calmed down, you can't be even reasoned with unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them to do them. Well, that misery loves company. And again, we could get into this verse a lot further, but, you know, it was appropriate to quote that right here. So, anyway, that was, this article was, that I just read you was totally referenced to. I mean, if, if you want me to forward it to you, I'll, I'll get it forwarded to you, because it's it's totally referenced. And uh, next thing we're going to talk about is uh, this emerging church movement. And let me see what my time is here. Okay, I think we've got. <clears throat> yeah, this emerging church movement is um, one of the real horrific things on the horizon for for the church for the churches right now. And this is uh, from a, a website called LighthouseTrailsResearch.com. LighthouseTrailsResearch.com. Got some really good stuff on the site. Particularly, it really keys on the emerging church movement, Rick Warren, how all the New Age tenets and all the, the New Age stuff and all the witchcraft is starting to permeate through pseudo-Christianity right now. It's amazing. Okay, I mean, the, the level of infiltration is unbelievable. And this is this is a uh, excerpt from that one of their articles entitled "Everything Must Change." Says Brian McLaren, the presenters of the "Everything Must Change" tour. That's what it's called. Everything must change. Well, I agree with that. Everything must change in the church for it to be biblically correct. We're to seek ye the old paths, wherein is wisdom. That's what the Bible talks about. Remove not the old landmark. These types of things. But no, no, no. This is not talking about that. Everything must change into this global, uh, new age, pseudo-antichrist Christian, pseudo-Christianity. That's what they're talking about. Well, let's confirm that. From spiritual formation to the Eucharist, to the paradigm shift, this tour, this everything must change tour, has it all. Scheduled for 2008, we are proclaiming that a deep shift is taking place. Oh, they're right. Deep shift is taking place toward evil. 
They are encouraging seekers to become part of it. Oh, sure they are. In honor of Brian McLaren's upcoming new release, Everything Must Change, this is a book I guess he's putting out of, of fall of this year, the tour will then present McLaren to 11 cities throughout the U.S. The question Deep Shift asks is, what does it mean in today's world to be a follower of God in the way of Jesus? To better understand what McLaren and other Deep Shift guides... Now I'm saying that, I'm emphasizing that, because that's what they're referring themselves to. Quote, deep shift guides. Now there's no pastors or evangelists or anything. I've heard him referred to now as coach. Coach. Yeah, that Godman thing that I talked about a couple months ago. That's what they refer to him now as coach. Yeah. Well, get in the game for, for Jesus, you know. One of those things. Coach. But no, no, this is even better. These are the deep shift guides. To better understand what McLaren and these other deep shift guides mean by the way of Jesus, we must have some understanding of the spiritual formation of the movement. Roger Oakland explains, quote, Spiritual formation is based upon experiences promoted by desert monks and Roman Catholic mystics. These mystics encourage the use of rituals and practices that if performed will bring the practitioner closer to God or enable him to enter into God's presence. Do you believe this, what I've just said, just even so far? This is the emptying of the mind so that God... Now there's a big movement, in, particularly in the, in the charismatics. Big, big movement in regard to this matter about opening the mind and, and um, uh, emptying the mind so that God can speak to you and, and getting off in these and in this meditative states and in silence and, and doing like the monks do and, and the Catholic mystics and things of this nature. Okay, we're going to prove this today without a, beyond a shadow of a doubt. Okay, and all I'm doing here is scratching the surface. So bear that in mind as well. You can get on this email list and I've actually forwarded a couple of their emails, and they're, they're really good. I mean, they're, they've got some, some phenomenal stuff in there. I don't really uh, know about their stance so much on the King James. And again, you're not going to ever find, rarely find ministries that have it all together. With the Bible version issue, with the 501c3 issue and all that. It's just, I don't know of any, okay? So, what you need to do as Christians is glean what you can glean. But there's a lot of good stuff up here. And this goes on, this quote of this guy says... Uh, that all these things that you do with the desert monks and the Catholic mystics will actually enable you to get into God's presence. The premise is that if one goes into silence or sacred space, ooh, we're really getting new agey, when then the mind is emptied of distractions and the voice of God can be heard and personal transformation will take place. Now let me tell you something. If they're telling you to do this knowing that they're demon-possessed, do you want to do it? Is that something you want to do? Okay. Well, what about meditating on the Word of God? Well, that's totally different. You know, reading, comprehending, contemplating Scripture is different than getting alone and, you know, contemplating your, your, your navel, getting in touch with your inner child while you're in a lotus position. I'm sorry, that's a little different. So, this is... is uh, you're doing this so this... this Personal transformation can take place. In truth, these hypnotic, mantric style practices 
bring one into an altered state of consciousness, which is true. Which is when you get into an altered state of consciousness, it's just like when you take drugs, like I mentioned earlier, or get or or, or let's say you get really drunk on alcohol or whatever you're smoking, wacky weed or whatever you're gonna do. You're you're opening the mind up to spirits. It's an altered state of consciousness where these spirits can go into you uninhibited. That's why you're doing this. Now, these spirits may say, I'm God. I'm speaking to you and I'm God. Oh, I'm Jesus. So what? What if what they're telling you doesn't line up with the Word of God? Don't you think if it was really Jesus, it would line up with His Word? Forever, O Lord, thy Word is settled in heaven. The Bible even goes so far as to say, I've magnified thy Word above my name. The Lord's speaking this. He says, I've magnified my Word above my name. So the Word of God... The King James Bible is to take precedence over anything you think you may be hearing from God. This is the, this is the trap the Pentecostals fall into. Oh, I, I, oh brother, I heard a word of God. You're going you're gonna to do this and you're going to do that and you need to do this. And you know, me coming out of that background, I, I would act on a lot of these things people were telling me and, and I was always finding, you know, that wasn't true what they told me. It didn't come to pass or, or I implemented this and I found out it wasn't of God and started wondering, well, who are they hearing from? I mean, why, why, if they're hearing from God, are they telling you all this bogus stuff? Whereas the test of a prophet in, in, in Deuteronomy 18 is that you have to get it right 100% of the time, all the time. Something to think about. So this says, then it goes on to say, uh, you, these practices bring one into altered states of consciousness, and rather than the believer being changed by the Holy Spirit and the indwelling of the person Jesus Christ, he is supposedly changed or transformed by entering this altered realm. While proponents of spiritual formation say these methods show that the Holy Spirit is doing something new to refresh Christianity. You know, all this stuff about refreshing and me, 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 and I, 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 and all... You know something? If God was really talking to these people, you know what He'd be doing? He'd be rebuking our stinking sin. That's what He'd be doing. He would, he would not be ignoring the weightier matters. God would not be straining at gnats and swallowing camels. He would be going to our sin issues and dealing with our sin issues in the church. The lukewarmness, the, the, the unbelievable apostasy that's going on in the church. That right there tells me when these people are hearing oh, all these wonderful, frilly things from God. Why would God ignore the weightier matters? Why would God contradict His word? If he was really talking to them about things like this. All I need to know is that. That would be one thing if the church was right with God. But it's not. It's not even remotely right. It's as apostate as you could get. We're stenching his nostrils for the most part. I'm not saying every person walking the planet. I'm not saying he has not preserved a remnant. I'm talking about the pseudo church out there that's passing themselves off as Christians. Yoking themselves up with unbelievers, and a lot of them are unbelievers, but yet they call themselves Christians, and that makes it okay. So, they're doing something new to refresh Christianity. Sadly, these methods leave the practitioner duped and deceived by, by the workings of the counterfeit Holy Spirit. Well, Satan always has counterfeits. If God's going to do something, Satan's always going to have a counterfeit. And thus the term, quote, the way of Jesus is more fitting then the term Christian to leaders of the emerging paradigm shift. Because the true 
Because to be a true Christian, Jesus lives inside and He is Lord and Savior over all. But to follow McLaren's way of Jesus means you must only see Him as a model and an example. Not necessarily the only way to salvation. But again, if people would just get the right Bible and get in the right Bible and start looking at these matters, they would start to see all these contradictions in Scripture. Well, who are they going to trust? God or man? The Bible says, Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, that, and that maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. Cursed be the man that does this. Okay, and that's what all these people are doing. They're trusting in men. Men that are actually devils and wolves in sheep's clothing. Goes on further to say, uh, let's see here. Actually, we must be so bold in this article to take the extreme to take it to the extreme that it really is. To follow, quote, the way of Jesus, as McLaren and other New Age proponents, prophets say, like him declare, like him declare, means the atonement, Christ shed blood for our sins, must be kicked in the mud. In other words, they, these New Age people are saying that Christ shed blood for our sins that we can't have that anymore. That's not the way. Okay? And they're saying the Bible must be shattered and tossed as debris. Strong, you say? Not near enough. And it's time to say because this deep ship will shift will take place according to Scripture. But Scripture calls it truly what it is. A great falling away where the doctrines of devils seduce and delude and where Satan will deceive the whole world. It's true. It's exactly what we're seeing. Biblical confirmation of that. So don't let this get you down. The Bible said it had to happen. Okay. Does that mean we shouldn't fight it? I think we should fight it to our dying breath. Are we, are we not supposed to earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints? Jude. Jude was a Jude 1 or 2. So I mean, you know, I think we should be doing this. I think biblically speaking, we're supposed to be watchmen. We're supposed to warn. We're supposed to be salt and light. We're supposed to reprove, rebuke, exhort. According to the word, according to sound doctrine... We are supposed to do these things. We are supposed to judge righteous judgment. He who is spiritual judgeth all things. We're supposed to mark them which was cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ but their own belly and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. That's Romans verse 16, verse 17 and 18. Let's go further. This is another article from this Lighthouse group and it says Rick Warren and Leonard Sweet together again this is, um, Leonard Sweet says, reinvent yourself for the 21st century or die. The 2007 Catalyst Conference. Oh, so, so now we've just talked about every, the Everything Must Change Conference. Now we're going to talk about the Catalyst Conference of 2007. This will be taking place this October, Doug. I've already got you guys tickets. And first class uh, plane flight in first, you know. Top five star hotels for you too. It's it my gift, you know, my gift. Anyway, sorry, we're getting a little crazy here. Um, the 2007 Catalyst concert, concert should be called concert. Catalyst conference will be taking place this October. A longtime college, Rick Warren and New Age sympathizer Leonard Sweet will be the speakers. Well, that's appropriate, you know. Warren and Sweet have both been instrumental in helping set the stage for the emerging church movement. And even though Leonard Sweet has been an avid performer of the New Age for a long time, Warren has shown continued support of him. This is how bad it is. 
this is, this is, I mean, the Christians, and my people love to have it so, as the Bible talks about. In 1995, the two did an audio series together called The Tides of Change. This is back in 1995. In the audio, they spoke of, quote, the new frontiers, a new spirituality, and waves of change. In more recent days, with Rick Warren's new reformation and global peace plan, these new frontiers have really started coming to light. A few years ago, prior to the Tides of Change series, Sweet wrote a book called Quantum Spirituality. (laughs) This is unbelievable to even read this. This book reveals the nature of Sweet's spiritual affinities as he talks about the Christ consciousness and a new light movement. Now, now please understand something here. A lot of this that we're talking Christ consciousness. Go listen to to to, this, to the preaching that we did on Lord Maitreya and the Ascended Masters. It's all the same jargon and lingo. You see how this is all tied together and why it's all so important to get the big picture of the end time delusion that is upon us? This is something that we're right on the cusp of. This is important that we be able to identify this. Lest Satan get an advantage of us for we are not ignorant of his devices. 2 Corinthians 2.11 We don't want to be ignorant of his devices. So, you know... And it all lines up. The New Age... the new age, and, and this isn't just some fridge movement. This is Rick Warren. This is the man that's been basically given the mantle of Billy Graham. He's been... I mean, he's, he's, he's had that whatever. He's the guy that Billy Graham passed the torch to. So you don't think this is important? He's the guy that's influencing more people than anybody. And he is the worst of the worst of the lot. I can't even imagine the, the, the punishment in hell that these, these people are going to endure. Okay, so moving further, uh, this sweet guy, this Leonard Sweet wrote this book, Quantum Spirituality. This book reveals the nature of sweet spiritual affinities, and um, he talks about the Christ consciousness in a, quote, new light movement. See, everything's got to be new and fresh, because you know something? If you're in this, you're in satanic bondage, and you'll get it's like sin. The same sin that satisfied you today might not be enough for you tomorrow. And that's why they've got to have something new and refreshing. Constantly to pull the sheep into the slaughter. Actually the goats into the slaughter. Because really these are goats. What we're dealing with here. Because the, the, the sheep in, in scripture are, are really representative more of the body of Christ. Whereas the goats are the ones that were the stub- stubborn as a goat. They wanted it their own way. My people love to have it so. So these would be more the goats of pseudo-Christianity. There, this is a, uh, a quote from Sweet. Uh, or this is a, a, uh, this Ray, Ray Nigan explains this further. He says, in quantum spirituality, this is this book written by this Leonard Sweet guy. This is the guy that's co-speaking with Rick Warren. Okay, this year at the Catalyst Conference in 2007. In quantum spirituality, Sweet thanks interspiritualists and universalists such as Matthew Fox, author of The Coming of the Cosmic Christ. This guy's giving this guy accolades. Okay, the guy that's yoked up with Rick Warren. He's the author of The Coming of the, Co- of the Cosmic Christ. He also gives um, thanks to Episcopalian priest 
and mystic Morton Kelsey, Willis Harmon, author of Global Mind Change, and Ken Wilber, one of the major intellectuals in the New Age movement, for helping him to find what he calls, quote, the new light. Can you believe that I even have to read this? That, that the church is so undiscerning and so far gone that, that, that we've got to the point where we're reading this and there's no public outcry whatsoever. Hardly, I mean, I don't see a public outcry other than certain ministries, yeah. Um, it, it's just, it's, 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 it's mind-boggling to me. Then it goes on to say, Sweet adds that he trusts the spirit that led him, that led the author of the, the author of the cloud of unknowing. Oh boy, doesn't that sound? The cloud of unknowing. And again, here, I mean, one of the guys he praises is this guy, Matthew Fox, who's the author of The Coming Cosmic Christ. Who's that going to be? Well, maybe Lord Maitreya? That's what he's saying he's going to be? Or one of these ascended masters? And again, please listen to, please listen to my, my teaching on uh, Lord Maitreya. I, just, I put up another one the other day uh, where we also did another little mini-teaching on, on Lord Maitreya and the ascended masters. Um, yeah. Okay, so continuing on, we go further and it says, In the preface of the same book, <clears throat> preface of the same book, Sweet disseminates line after line of suggestions that the old teachings of Christianity must be replaced with new teachings of the, quote, new light. Unbelievable. You know, I mean, this is the same thing Satan did in the Garden of Eden. He questioned God's word. Ye shall be as gods. And there's no more way that you could put yourself as a god is when you start to question God's word. Try to put yourself. I'm not saying you are a god. But I'm saying that you are, you are putting yourself in that position. Who are you to question God's word? Well, that's what they're saying here. They, all these old, old ways and all the old teachings have to be replaced with the new light. And yet these new teachings, he believes, will draw from ancient teachings. Which are of the desert fathers. <laughs> This is almost comical. You read this. It's sad, but it's comical because it's like, how could people be falling for this? Then it says, this new light movement, Sweet says, is a radical faith commitment that is willing to dance to a new rhythm. End of quote. Oh, it's a real new rhythm, all right. The Piper. The Piper's rhythm. Pan. Throughout the book, Sweet favorably uses terms like Christ consciousness and higher self and in no uncertain terms promotes new age ideology through quantum spirituality is a structure of human becoming a channeling of Christ energy through the mind-body experience. Can you feel the karma flowing? You know? Anyway, uh, the Bible does not describe Jesus Christ as an energy channeling its way in and through us without a doubt. This is New Age lingo. The wonderful thing about the Gospel that is presented in scripture is that Jesus Christ is presented as a personal God who loves us and will have a relationship with anyone who by faith comes to the Father through Him. This can be where the contemplatives have it wrong. They believe that through this meditative prayer they can reach God. See, and again, it's always about doing, 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 doing. It's, it's just like any works-based religion. You've got to do this and you've got to do that. In order to attain, it's, it's like any Gnostic religion, it's like any religious system set up in the world. It's all about what you do, because that makes you feel spiritual. It's not about what Christ can do through you, it's about what you do. And, and that's pride. Then it says, Leonard Sweet is what 
is what uh, is what could be called an Alice Bailey Christian because his views on the role of mysticism in the church are evident. He states, quote, now Alice Bailey was one of the most wicked occultists of all time. She was like the, um, uh, she came after um, Madame Blavatsky, okay, who's, and, and I believe what did Alice Bailey uh, start the theosophy movement? It's basically Satanism repackaged, okay? This is what basically what Alice Bailey was. This, and this is a, uh, he's, here's a quote from, from this Leonard Sweet. Mysticism, once cast to the sidelines of Christian tradition, is now situated in the postmodernistic culture near the center. In the words of one of the greatest theologians of the 20th century, Jesuit philosopher of religion, dogmatist Karl Rahner, he said, quote, The Christian of tomorrow will be a mystic. One who has experienced something or he will be nothing. Uh, mysticism in metaphysics arrived at through mind-body experiences. Mysticism begins in experience. It ends in theology. Uh, that was a quote from A Time of Departing. Pages 156-160. And so then we go further. And then it says, A few years after Rick Warren and Leonard Sweet did the audio series together, Warren endorsed the front and back cover of Sweet's book. Rick Warren. Endorsed this, this flagrant New Ager's book. His book that he wrote was called Soul Tsunami. Oh, isn't that, you know, you got to always have these catchy names. The Catalyst Conference, Everything Must Change Conference, Soul Tsunami. Give me a break. Of Sweet's book, Warren said, quote, suggests this Soul Tsunami book of this New Ager, flagrant New Ager. Rick Warren says, this book suggests practical ways to communicate God's unchanging truth to our changing world. However, the quote practical ways that Sweet shares in the book include a labyrinth and visiting a meditation center. Now labyrinth are these things they set up in a lot of these Christian conferences and churches where you go into these labyrinths and you do all these things where you get lost in these labyrinths and you undergo this spiritual transformation. It's, it's, it's all occultism repackaged is all it is. Um, and then it says, uh, Sweet also says in the book, it's time for a postmodern reformation adding the wind of spiritual awakening is blowing across the waters. He says that times are a-changing and you better, quote, reinvent yourself for the 21st century or die. End of quote. Reinvent yourself or die. You know, the dying part would be the martyrs that would have to be killed because they wouldn't line up with this new age ideology. Then we go further, and then Erwin McElanus is also speaking at the conference, and his recent article, Erwin McElanus, The Secret Behind the Secret. Now remember we talked about the secret? I have a whole teaching we did on this. You can download that as well. I highly recommend it. But this is the secret behind the secret. It revealed that McNamanus resonated with, with the new channeled film, The Secret. Now that's just the big buzz and Oprah and all the New Agers, The Secret, you know. It's all about thinking the right thoughts to attract anything you want, whether that's a girlfriend or a boyfriend or money or wealth or power. You just got to think and believe it and it'll come to you. And it's the name it and claim it 
of Christianity just repackaged way in, into radical new age. So on the Catalyst website, uh, it, is, it says that the event will be a convergence of leaders. Now this is this Catalyst Convergence Conference that's coming up in um, October of this year with Rick Warren and Leonard Sweet. On the Catalyst website, it says the event will be a, con a convergence of leaders that will shake you to the core. Unfortunately, we believe the shaking will drop unsuspecting participants, including thousands of young people, into the hands of deception. We hope the organizers of the event will come out in the open and admit that some of the speakers have new age pro, pro proclivities, and, and they may pass these on to those in attendance. Now, why would they do that? Please. Yes, well, we've got this devil. I want to make this preemptive. Now, here, here I am at the, at the conference, the, uh, Rick Warren, at, at the Catalyst. Well, we, we, want to, we want to do a little prefacing here, a little preemptive warnings. We've got some really big wolves in sheep's clothing here tonight, people. And, you know, I wanted to kind of give you a little heads up, you know, so that you're not blindsided by all the unbelievable, un unbiblical, basically New Age satanic jargon you're going to hear tonight. You know, don't get too brainwashed. Just get a little brainwashed. I mean, the, you know, the Bible says a little leaven, leaven at the whole lump, and we, we don't want you know, you know, we kind of want you to be, you know, transformed, you know, so that you can really get in touch with your inner child and these types of things, but. Don't get too transformed because, you know, these guys, you know, you got to watch them a little bit. I mean, how asinine. They're, they're not going to give any warnings. But the, the, the problem is, is the people going to these things have no discernment whatsoever. I mean, I don't know. It's just, it's mind-boggling. Let's go further. Now, we just talked about this Erwin Mac, the, Mac McManus in The Secret Behind the Secret. Let's talk about that a little bit more. When David Jeremiah endorsed the back cover of Erwin Magnus' book, Seize Your Divine Moment, there should have been a reason for a very large concern. When Jeremiah made reference to McManus in his own 2003 book, Life Wide Open, Life Wide Open, that should, that should really have sent up red flags. But Jeremiah, this is David Jeremiah, respected you know, uh, uh, I don't know if he's on TV, but I know he's on the radio, big time. David Jeremiah, uh, he, but Jeremiah also quoted New Ager, Sue Monk Kid. That's always a good name, Sue Monk Kid. In the book, as well as a Buddhist sympathizer and a couple of mystics, and Rick Warren. So Jer David Jeremiah is getting on board too, just like all the pastors are going to get on board. That all these radio personalities and TV evangelists. They're, they're, they'll get on board. They'll get on board or die, as the one guy said. <laughs> this was a real turnaround for Jeremiah. Just a decade earlier, he wrote a book exposing the New Age, entitled Invasion of Other Gods. It didn't seem possible that both books were written by the same person. But in 2001, Jeremiah was quoting mystic proponent Henry Nowen, and in his 2003 church, Shadow Mountain, his, in, his 2003, in 2003, his church, Shadow Mountain, that's the name of his church, Shadow Mountain? Okay, whatever. That church was recommending its men read Richard Foster's contemplative book, Celebration of Discipline. <laughs> I mean, you know, Satan's good at what he does. you got to give, like I said, the devil do some 
I mean, I'm not saying give him glory, but he's good at what he does. He's subtle. He's the most subtle beast of the field. And if you were following Jeremiah 10 years ago, and you knew about these new age things, and you stay in this ministry, and then all of a sudden he starts to have this shift toward the other side, and it's very subtle, and it's very gradual, and before you know it, you, you find yourself up be, being in agreement with the new age proponents. It's how Satan works it. It's how he does it. He's not stupid. And, and, and he's going to do this very subtly. So then in 2005, things seemed to go from bad to worse. After Ken Blanchard had been exposed as a New Age sympathizer, having promoted Buddhism and mantra meditation for 20 years, David Jeremiah became part of a speaking team, which included New Age sympathizers, Lori Beth Jones, for Ken for Ken Blanchard's Lead Like Jesus. It was about that time Jeremiah, David Jeremiah contacted Lighthouse Trails. Now this is this email, this is this, this is, Lighthouse Trails is the newsletter that I'm reading from, okay? And it's, again, it's lighthousetrailsresearch.com. Highly recommend you get on their email list. It's good stuff. David Jeremiah contacted them around 2005 when he heard us mention him on one of our radio programs. In his letter to us, he defended Ken Blanchard and insisted he was a new Christian, which he wasn't, and reprimanded us for saying Blanchard was promoting New Age, which he was. What seemed odd was, what seemed odd though, was that after it was brought out that Jeremiah was favorably quoting New Agers like Sue Monk Kid in Life Wide Open, he didn't pull the book from the market and give some public explanation. On the contrary, in 2006, his book, Captured by Grace, discussed Henry Nowen and received an endorsement from Ken Blanchard. He's not making any attempt to retract anything, in other words, from these New Age sympathizers. David Jeremiah. Erwin McMain, and I wouldn't have known this unless I got this newsletter. And then something very strange happened. In the fall of 2006, Jeremiah sent out an email to his subscribers, which favorably quoted and discussed Erwin McManus' book, The Barbarian Way. This sounds like a good biblical title to me. Uh, Jeremiah said he would use the book in his upcoming Sunday sermon to help prepare the congregation for what he called a major paradigm shift. Pregnant pause there. Unbelievable. Since that email, we know of at least two situations where Jeremiah favorably referred to McManus. Well, hey, if he's going to do it, and he might as well do it all the way. If you're going to live like the devil, you know, he might as well really live like him. And David Jeremiah has proven, you know, uh, we're going to live like the devil, guys. Let's let's really live like him. So, it's pretty amazing stuff here. This major paradigm shift. Now this is a big time new age term. You're going to see a lot of this paradigm shift that has to occur in order for the Antichrist to be accepted as the coming one world leader. Okay? And he's, Jeremiah's wanting to prepare his congregation for this. McManus is a promoter of the new age. He admits himself that in the book, The Barbarian Way. This is the one that, that um, David Jeremiah is promoting. Barbarian Way has a message that is the core of mysticism, which is the heart of the New Age. After studying McManus's book and evaluating his Awakening website, as well as other writings and websites, it is the conclusion of Lighthouse Trails ministry 
that Erwin McManus has New Age, major New Age proclivities. But it wasn't until Tuesday morning did we truly become alarmed by the acceptance of leaders like David Jeremiah towards the spirituality of McManus. The following information should alarm any discerning Christian, and we will ask you to consider it prayerfully. John Gordon is the author of the book, The Ten Minute Energy Solution. Ironically enough, Ray Yigen, Yungen, wrote about Gordon in his book in the second edition of A Time of Departing. He wrote about it as further proof of Ken Blanchard's embracing of the New Age. For you see, Blanchard has endorsed Gordon's book. Um, in, ter- in 2006, the book hit the market, The 10-Minute Energy Solution by John Gordon. The book is filled with suggestions on how to improve energy levels through meditation, yoga, breathing exercises, and other techniques. Throughout the book, Gordon favorably quotes the Dalai Lama. Met- meet- meditator... Meditator Daniel Goleman, some guy, I can't possibly pronounce his name. It's like the, the, the more unpronounceable their name, the more spiritual they are, I believe. You know, they've truly gotten in touch with their inner child. That's why. And I haven't yet, so I, they got that going for me, and I don't. So, you know, it's a strike against me. Shame on me. Sorry, a little crazy there. So, we go further, and we, and we go with this, and it says, um, New Agers, Marilyn Ferguson... And uh, Wayne Dwyer, who wrote a book, The Course in Miracles. Gordon promotes pantheism, which is God in all, and also nature worship. By saying things such as, you came from this, from this source, speaking of God, and you are this source. So you're, you're God. Which is big, big time what, what a lot of the uh, TBN preachers are saying. When they're saying, I'll run around saying we're little gods, we're little gods, we are God. The law of attraction is important to share, and it's the big part of my new book, The Energy Bus, <laughs> which tells the story of a man who uses the law of attraction to help turn around his negativity, fear, adversity, and challenges in his life. And understanding the law of attraction, now this is the secret, this is what the big the buzz on the secret is, the law of attraction. Uh, in understanding the law of attraction, many are now realizing they are involved in the creation of their own lives, that their energetic thoughts, beliefs, and actions have an impact on the world, an imprint on the energy fabric of the universe. You see, Gordon likes the secret because he believes that God is in all creation. The secret teaches that God is everyone, and actually teaches that we are all God. Listen to what the secret says. This is evidently the book, The Secret. Now there's the DVD, there's the book. You can go up on Google and Google it and watch it, whatever you want to do. Please don't get swept up in it. But page 175, quote, We are creators not only of our own destiny, but also of the universe. Hmm, I could have swore the Bible says God orders the steps of man. Huh. Well, and then it says we are all connected and we are all one. Then, page 183, no matter what you thought you were, now you know the truth of who you really are. You are the master of the universe. You are the heir to the kingdom. You are perfection of life. What new age stinking dribble. You know what the Bible says in Isaiah 64, 6? For we are all together as an unclean thing, and all of our righteousness are as filthy rags. And we all do together fade as doth a leaf. That's what the Bible says. We are all together as an unclean thing. That the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Jeremiah 17, 9. 
That there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. That all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Hmm. Wow. Oh, what a wretch of a man I am. Who will deliver me from the body of this death? Paul said that. Greatest apostle ever. Paul said that. That's pretty much what we are. So, but no, no, no. The devil's going to tell you the exact opposite. Oh, you're this wonderful spiritual entity flitting around the universe and you just need to, to arise to your karmic flow and then whatever. Where does it end? Then it says on page 164, You are God in a physical body. You are all power. You are all intelligence. You are the creator. <laughs> oh man, I mean this is just unbelievable. But it sounds good to somebody that's, you know, hey, wow, this sounds good. I like this. Um, so, few could deny after hearing these statements that the secret is pure occultism, but listen to now what John Gordon says in the next article. To him who has ears, let him hear. While having dinner the other night with Erwin McManus, the author of Soul Cravings, now this is the other guy that we were just talking about as well, a person who has a profound impact on my life, we discussed the secret. And Erwin made a great point that we need to explain that there is a secret behind the secret. Ooh. That secret is we are the co-creators of, of our life with God. We are both creating and being created at the same time. Whatever that means. The secret does not exist to satisfy your every wish, but to help us become the kind of people God can use to make His ultimate wish come true. Heaven on earth and inside each one of us. Well, you talk about lukewarm wanting to vomit. It talks about in Revelation 3. Uh, I mean, I can't imagine what this actually does to uh, the Lord's anger, you know. Now, let's go further. The secret has the potential to prepare the world for such delusion as it's never seen before. And now, countless of Christian leaders will help to take Christendom, Christendom, into the same spiritual deception. We see leaders like David Jeremiah promoting Erwin McManus's book and Sid Sue Monk Kid. Well, I just gotta, just gotta love that name. Sue Monk Kid. You know? I mean, it he, he just, he, he just flows off the tongue. And then Josh McDowell endorsing Dan Kimball's new book and sharing a platform twice now with meditation promoter Tony Campolo. And then Charles Stanley authoring an audio series called Meditation, The Power of Silence. Oh, not Charles Stanley. I just, I'm sorry, I just put out a big email on Charles Stanley the other day. He's no better. He's no better. I mean, he's, you know, these are guys that at one time seemed as though they took somewhat of a, of a decent stance. Not anymore. Not anymore. And then the Southern Baptist Convention embracing the Emerging Church through their partnership with Leadership Network, the organization that launched the Emerging Church. Beth Moore being part of the Be Still DVD and later saying that she sees nothing wrong with contemplative spirituality. Focus on the family. Promoting a man who tells his readers to repeat a word for 20 times, for 20 minutes. This is all the mantra, the mantra. You've got to have the mantra. So this word you keep repeating over and over. Well, focus on the family also is the one that, that they endorse Harry Potter. They said there's nothing wrong with it. Which is just really high-level witchcraft repackaged into a nice kiddie form. And then we've got Erwin Lutzer endorsing Larry Crabb's book, The Papa Prayer, which outright promotes contemplative and centering 
prayer. Erwin Lutzer. Now, he just put, came out with a book um, debunking the Da Vinci Code. But you know something? I saw him interviewed. He was at that... Uh, uh, I saw him interviewed on one of these on one of these David Bay DVDs, and uh, it showed an interview. And I got the worst feeling from that guy looking at him. I mean, just his countenance. I got a really bad feeling from that guy. And, and then I read this, and I realized why I had the bad feeling. You know, I mean, the the, the Bible says we, as, if the Holy Spirit lives inside you. We're going to have some discernment about these things. This is why I can't understand. I'm reading this and I'm thinking, if the Holy Spirit's living inside all these people, they're supposedly in the pseudo-Christianity, why isn't He talking to them? Why isn't He convicting them? It doesn't, you know, you, you can really come to no other conclusion that they're not saved. I mean, how could they be saved? The Bible says if He saves you and you're His kid, it says that He's going to spank you if you're doing wrong. Where does it say that? Well, it says that, it says that um, uh, for God... Um, the, the, the verse about chasing, uh, God, I'm, I'm losing it right now. Um, for God will, will chasten his sons, and if you be without chastisement, you're bastards. Okay? So, chasing is something that we should expect as a Christian in order, and this is the way God deals with us, this is the way God gets us back on track, okay? And the Bible says, if you be without chastisement, you're bastards, and bastard is an illegitimate son, in old King, King James English, and even in today's English, if you really look at the true definition. So, there's no chastening on these people. There's no conviction of sin. It's as though their conscience has been seared with a hot iron. That's not good. You know, that's what First Corinthians, First uh, Timothy four one says that their conscience will be seared with a hot iron. Why? Because they've given heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. They've given heed. They're operating them. They love it. Okay, so this is where we're at. So Erwin Lutzer he endorsed this book, Papa Prayer, uh, and then this book promotes outright contemplative and centering prayer. And then Chuck Swindoll exalting the name of Henry Nowen and saying we can't really know God without the silence. You gotta have the silence, you know. I mean, show me, I need to see that in the Bible. When we then see the massive shift by Christian leaders, we know that there will be a convergence where millions will come together, unified through meditation and exalting man as God. And again, the, the, the true pure religion of the new age, of the seven year tribulation of the Antichrist, is going to be witchcraft. The Bible says that when the Antichrist arises in Daniel, that he will cause craft. To prosper. Now that is not the company that makes macaroni and cheese. Okay? Craft in the Bible is in reference to witchcraft. And there's even a book called The Craft. Okay? Which has the triquetra symbol on it. Which is the symbol that's on the New King James Bible. And it's called a, rich, a witch's grim, grim war of spells. I can't hardly talk today. So anyway... Um, this is, this is just a little bit of this. And we've already talked to you about these, these Bible verses. And, um, that there's going, the Bible predicts there was going to be uh, a departure of the faith. And there's going to be a falling away. And then the man of sin is going to be revealed. And most likely the church is going to be falling away. And then this man of sin will be revealed. And then it, there's just a lot of things in the Bible that confirm this. So let's go with this just a little bit further. We'll end with this. This is an email that I, I did a teaching uh, on the Days of the Dead where we talked this about this a little bit a little time back. I'm just going to expand on this a little bit more. I got some more information about this Days of the Dead Christian Youth Camp they have every year. Where they're getting 25,000 people coming to this. This isn't just something little. 
And the Bible verse that I had put on the, on the uh, top of this was have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. And this is what we do every week. We're reproving, we're rebuking these works of darkness that are passing themselves off as Christianity and the pseudo-Christian church. They're calling evil good, good evil. And we're, we're, we're exposing these things. We're marking these people. This is what the Bible says to do. Okay? But... Very few are doing it, unfortunately. So, the excerpts below are straight from... No, this is straight from... This is not... I'm not I'm not embellishing this. This is straight off their website. The official Days of the Dead Christian Festival 2006. Now, this was from last year. They're going to have one this year. Which attack... Well, hopefully the Lord would intervene. It would be great if He did. You know, I don't know. I mean, the Bible says that he, that God would be the one that will send the strong delusion, that they will believe a lie, that they might all be damned who receive not the love of the truth. Well, where does it say that? In 2 Corinthians chapter 2. No, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Sorry. Uh, so God's going to be the one sending the strong delusion. So you, you kind of read this with a little bit of mixed emotion because you know that God's actually the one permitting this to happen. So, this Christian festival... Days of the Dead, which attracted 25,000 pseudo-Christians. You will notice the strong connection with Catholicism, praying for dead saints, necromancy, ancestor worship, and the total obsession with the dead, skulls, skeletons, and Halloweens. These crimes were so heinous in the Old Testament, they were punishable by death under Levitical law. But now they go on in the church, and it's okay. This festival seems to be an amalgamation of Roman Catholicism, witchcraft, and Mexican occult holidays. All wrapped into one veneer of pseudo-Christianity. Make no mistake about it, this is the future, future religion of this planet during the brief reign of the Antichrist. Which is the craft. And I just talked about that. Now this is this... Uh, this is this book that I just told you about. Speaking of the Antichrist, the Word of God says in Daniel 8.25, And through his policy, the Antichrist policy, he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand. And he shall magnify himself in his heart, and by peace shall destroy many. This is how he's going to come at the end of World War III, as a man of peace. Oh, I've got, I've got it figured out. I can finally bring peace between the Jews and the Islamic races. Okay? And he's going to apparently do something that no other person could possibly do. But see, through this false peace, he's going to destroy many. And uh, the, again, I, I, can, I can forward you this updated um, email that I'm reading off here. This festival, this Days of the Dead, promotes contemplative spirituality in the emerging, in the emerging church, which is just what we were talking about in the, this emerging church movement. Last year, we reported that World Vision and Wycliffe Bible Translators were two of the festival sponsors. Why not? I mean, you know, hey, World Vision and Wycliffe Bible Translators? You know. They have a, a um, part up there. Now, this is straight off their website. It says, keep the hollow in Halloween. Um. Yeah. Keep Halloween, the most satanic holiday of the occult calendar. They believe Halloween is the day when the veil between the spirit world is its thinnest. And therefore the spirits can pass back and forth more easily. They believe Halloween is Satan's birthday. To an occultist, a strict occultist, Halloween is the start of their new year as well. It's, the, it's how they divide time. So, they, they, of course, they've got the Keep the Hollow in Halloween. 
Now, hollow meaning spelled H-A-L-L-O, not hollow, like a hollow log or something. Hollow, like, hallowed be thy name. Okay? Halloween. And this is um, the 2006 Imaginarium at the Cornerstone Festival honors saints, souls, and bodies in a series of feasts of the dead. From the Dia de los Muertos, I'm going to really start speaking Spanish because I'm going to have to, because all this Mexican paganism that the illegal aliens are bringing over, this, this highlights this. So, from the Dia de los Muertos to the Celtic harvest uh, revelry that became All Hallows Eve. We'll also explore the darkest heart of the TV series Lost and survey the stylish and subtle horror films of Val Luton and reacquaint ourselves with Doctor Who. And then we'll dig deep into the science, politics, and even the poetics of archaeology. Indeed, the imperial ruins of time and the grinning skulls of the feasts of the dead have much in common. Human history has its own cycles of life and death. A continual reduction to rubble, a continual digging out. This year's Imaginarium explores both ends of that spectrum, reflecting on the transience of the city of man, and more lasting, the legacy of the citizens of the city of God. We've long claimed for our patron saint, J.K. Chesterton, and St. Gilbert may well have claimed for his own Francis, that jester of God, this is St. Francis of Assisi they're in reference to, may have claimed for his own Francis, that jester of God, as part of our All Saints focus. So see, what they're doing is they have their necromancy. They're, 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 they're trying to talk to the dead. They're trying to communicate with the dead, which was punishable by death in the Old Testament, which was considered one of the things that was in, within the realm of witchcraft, reading crystal balls, or, or what they call scrying crystal balls, and, and uh, all the stuff where, where they were trying to communicate with the dead. All of it's forbidden in the Bible. It's all forbidden. But they have this all saints focus, where we'll examine what it means to be a saint, as as a special emphasis on the poor man of Assisi. That's Francis of Assisi. See, they 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 only they're like the Catholics now. They only consider saints not as the Bible would refer to them. If you're saved, born again Christian, you're considered a saint. No, no, no. You have to be canonized by the Catholic Church to be considered a saint. You know what I mean? I mean, what do, what do they do in the canonized? Do they put, like, put them in a cannon and blot them? What, what do they do? I, I, canonized. I don't get it. I, show me that in the Bible. Please show me that. Please show me praying the rosary in the Bible. Oh, well, where did that come from? Well, that's from, from Hinduism. They, they had the Hindu rosary beads way long before Catholicism ever got a hold of them. You know, show me how the seven sacraments get you to heaven in the Bible. Show me the doctrine of purgatory and limbo in the Bible. Show me the doctrine of indulgences in the Bible. Or idol worship. Or praying to saints. Show me any of that in the Bible. Well, you've got to really check your brain at the door to participate in these things. Or just totally never look at your Bible. Even, even a Catholic Bible, you could figure this out. An, what is it, an American Standard Version I think they use? I'm pretty sure it's American Standard. Yeah. Anyway. Now. This next part of their website is entitled, Why Should the Devil Have All the Good Bacchanals? It's it's almost so unbelievable when I got off the site, I didn't didn't even believe what I was reading. Now, most of you don't understand what I just read. Part of you should understand. Let me read it again. 
This is, this is one of their headers up on their website. You can go to this too and look at this just like I did. Why should the devil have all the good bacchanal, bacchanals? What's a bacchanal? Well, see, Bacchus is the wine of, is the god, the demon, fallen angelic god of wine and debauchery. Did you know that? Well, see, that's what the devil has, are bacchanals. These, these are, these are celebration, celebrations where you get really, really drunk, get really, really debauched, have sex with everybody. And that's what they've got as their header on one of the parts of their site. Why should the devil have all the fun, you know? So then it says, this is not a tame seminar. That's what this guy, this guy, no, the guy wrote this guy named Mark, Mike Hertenstein. Quoting from this article, it says, quote, This seminar was originally supposed to be on memory and mortality. The original title being Memento Mori, which means remember you will die. End of quote. It was inspired by our series of films and activities connected with our program on the Days of the Dead. I mean, this really is a hallmark moment. This is special. Special stuff here, you know. I might get teary-eyed. Then it says, it was also inspired by our meditation on ruins and witness and wisdom of the saints, especially concerning the saints' repeated warning to us to number our days. Researching St. Francis, I was struck by the fact that so many of his portraits over time include a prominently placed skull. In fact, on one of the few actual samples we have of Francis's writings, he signs his name and includes a little drawing of a skull. Wouldn't that maybe set up a little red flag to you? That maybe, you know, he's kind of of the devil? Why would he want to, why would he want to emphasize death in, in, more, in uh, morbid things? You know, why would he do that? I'm told that St. Ignatius actually recommends employing a skull in his spiritual exercises. Yeah! Let's do it! St. Ignatius, wasn't he, the star, wasn't he the guy that started the Jesuits? Ignatius of Loyola? Or, yeah. This doesn't surprise me. And so, and then St. Benedict, sober... Do you notice all we're talking about here is Catholicism and they call themselves Christian? This is not a Catholic function we're talking about here. This is something where they're saying, we're Christians, man, come on, come on. Days of the dead, anything goes. What are they going to have now? Days of the dead orgies? Well, they're, they're saying, why should the devil have all the good bacchanals? I bet you that's probably going on. Some place in that place. I mean, I, don't, I can't say for sure, but it wouldn't surprise me. It says here then, it says St. Benedict's sobering charge is to keep death ever before you. End of quote. In a short story by St. James, the dead, the author describes a monastery where the monks sleep in their own coffins in an unavoidable daily, uh, unavoidable daily memento mori, which means remember you will die. Other monasteries are famous as repositories of bones of former residents. And entire churches have been built of bones. Oh, that's not too morbid. That's not too satanic. What, what do these people think when they go to these places? Oh, these are so spiritual. Men of God. Monks. They're some of the most demon-possessed people on the planet monks are. What do they do? They flagellate themselves so, so, so that they, 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 they can earn penance, they can earn their way into hell? That's all they're doing, earning their way into hell. With an effect very much like the House of Bones that is this year's Imaginarium Decor. So see, that's how they had their decor set up, as, the, as with a House of Bones. They actually had that at this Days of the Dead conference. Well, how apropos! Then it says, 
Usually such places feature a sign with a famous, famous adage, I was once like you, you will someday be like me. Meaning the bones say this. In other words, you know, you're going to someday be a skeleton like me. The bones are talking about this. Now, this is interesting because from the research I've seen, the one of the versions of the revised version, that there was two versions of the Bible that were used to translate it, the revised version, which should be called the reviled version of 1881, which the two occultists, Westcott and Hort, translated, and all of our modern day versions spawn from the revised version of 1881. This is where the Word of God began to be perverted. Now, the two translations they used were Catholic translations. One was called the Vaticanus, and one was called the Synodicanus. Now, the Vaticanus was found in the Vatican... Uh, and this is one of the versions Westcott and Hort used. And the other one was the Sinaiticus, which was found at the base of a monastery of Mount Sinai. That's where they call it the Sinaiticus. Now, supposedly it was found in a trash can at the base of a mon in a monastery at the base of Mount Sinai. This very same monastery, I've I've read stories about it, where it has these rooms where they've got mo old monks. Their skeletons, where they're actually chained up in the monastery, they've got actually things in there where there's big, big stacks of of, of the bones of all these monks that are stacked in all these rooms. It's it's as morbid of a place as you could possibly imagine. Can you imagine the demonic attraction that the devils would have to those types of places? And yet, this is where we get one of the versions that was translated into the revised version. So you understand why I tend to be a little bit um, passionate about the whole Bible version issue. Now, let's, let's go further. We, we're not done yet today. Now, let's go to another part of the website. Given our emphasis on monastics and medieval piety, it seemed appropriate to open the 2006 Imaginarium with our own version of the Vespers service. Though, if... I'd been thought, though I, if I had thought of it sooner, it would have been fun to find some Benedictines willing to come and teach us how to chant. <laughs> oh, I mean, this is just, this is so incomprehensible that I could even be reading this. I, I mean, it, it just, it almost makes you, leaves you speechless. So they're going to find some Benedictine monks that can come and teach us how to chant. That's what they really want. Maybe they'll set that up for this year. As it was, we managed to stretch the borders of the Imaginarium. Well, actually, you know, they're pushing the envelope. I think it would have been a better choice of words there. But they stretched the borders of the Imaginarium to cover some new ground as John and Lint and others helped us lint. That's a, that's a weird name. Lint. Like, you know, lint in a dryer. Lint and others helped us on Wednesday... Uh, helped us with something resembling a mildly liturgical worship service Wednesday night. After some prayers and readings, I wonder what these readings are. Readings? What are they reading? Are they scrying a crystal ball? Are they reading tea leaves? Are they pulling the liver out of a, out of a cow and reading it? What are they doing? Are they reading palms? Are they reading tarot cards? There, there was tarot card readings going on at this, too. That's another thing they were doing. Tarot card readings. Uh, I'm almost positive I saw that on there. Uh, so then go, we go further. After some prayers and readings, we had a time when those in our little congregation could come forward and share a few words about the saints who have been most meaningful to them. And again, in the Imaginarium, we stretched the borders to include saints from St. Francis to Flannery O'Connor to Atticus Finch 
Only in the Imaginarium will you hear a heartfelt and even genuinely loving memory to the spirituality and formative influence of of Batman <laughs> in a man's former life. <laughs> so, let me, let me read that again. I, I can't even hardly say it without, without cracking up. It, it's, it's so pathetic. So, yeah, the... the, <laughs> the um, <laughs> the, uh, the, only in the Imaginarium you'll hear the heartfelt and even genuinely loving testimony to the spiritually informative influence of Batman in a young man's life. Oh, Batman. Ode to Batman. You know, let's start to wax poetic. I, I really think we need to at this point. Then it says it was inspiring to also hear a few grandmas and grandpas remembered in the capacity of a saint. Oh, I guess they made the cut then. They made the sainthood cut. As part of our service, everyone was invited to add their picture of their saint, a paper flower, to the arch of our Mexican Ofendia. It is offensive. I've got a couple pictures of this. In fact, I got the pictures from this. I'll send you to them if you email me. But but you, you cut out your picture of your saint with a flower and add it to the arch of the Mexican Ofendia to symbolize their part in the great cloud of witnesses. See, they're, they're, they're still trying to tie this into Christianity. N- not, not a person they're putting up on this Ofendia is even saved. That's the crazy part about it. What, the great cloud of witnesses in hell? Is that what they're in reference to? So then we go further. The saints whose pictures were added to our gallery included Rosa Parks, Dorothy Day, St. Anselm, Nelson Mandela, Mr. Rogers. Oh, you mean the, 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 the gay Mr. Rogers? The homosexual Mr. Rogers? Yeah, I don't know if you knew that. Mr. Rogers was definitely gay. Nelson Mandela. What was he, was he like? The leader of South Africa or something? You know, Simon Wheel, Wendell Berry, and Johnny Cash. Oh, I mean, you got Johnny Cash in there. Why not Anton LaVey, too? The, the founder of the first church of Satan. I mean, I think that would at least be honestly appropriate. I mean, why not? Why not Aleister Crowley? And Madame Petrova Blavatsky? And Alice Bailey? And Hitler? Why not, why not Mao Zedong and Pol Pot? And Stalin? Get them all up there! Anything goes, man, in this spirituality. Hey, it's a new wave of blowing, guys. We gotta, you know, we gotta go with the flow. Sorry, but I can't be anything but totally sarcastic about this, this abomination in the sight of God. Then it said we made more traditional use of the Offendia that night. The, you know, the only traditional use of this Offendia would have been to take the stinking thing outside and burn it. But no, they made a more traditional use. On our Dia de los Moretos, uh, whatever that means, of course, I was grateful for the advanced look at the excellent upcoming book, Skulls to the Living, Bread to the Dead. The Day of Dead in Mexico and Beyond by Stanley Brandes. You know, I've been waiting for that book for a long time. I mean, the much anticipated, much ballyhooed book. Skulls to the Living, Bread to the Dead. You know, they always got these nice catchy limericks in there. You know, I guess that's what sells books, you know. Uh, Day of the Dead in Mexico and Beyond. Oh boy, I, I can hardly wait. And then it says, I'm grateful that Paul Leggett who we have advertised as a man, quote, who knows more about monster movies than any other Presbyterian minister in New Jersey. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, I I had to turn the microphone off there. This is just beyond me. We're all, we can't even believe what we're hearing. But yeah, this, let me read this again. This is, he's grateful, the guy's writing this up. 
that Paul Leggett, who we have advertised, they have this guy build and advertise. Now, this is how I would want to be billed. I mean, as, as a as a born against you know spirit-filled Christian, the whole nine yards. You know, this is how I would want to be billed. Okay, he says this this man quote who knows more about monster movies than any other Presbyterian minister in New Jersey. Now that that's a that's a really unique claim to fame. You got to admit. I mean, and, and it really, it, you know, I can really give you a lot of scriptural references that this is something that we should strive for. Knowing more about monster movies than any other Presbyterian minister in New Jersey. Now, that's a very unique niche. You have to admit. You, I mean, you know, you've you got to admit that that's a pretty unique niche. But this, this guy, Paul Leggett, the guy that, that is the monster movie man, was on hand to lend some clerical credibility. Oh, I mean, if you want a guy that's going to bring credibility to your meeting, get, bring this guy in. I mean, I, I mean, knowing more about monster movies than any of the Presbyterian ministry in New Jersey just, just oozes with credibility, you know. But he, he was there to lend some clerical credibility and structure to our second sort of worship service. In so many nights at the Imaginarium, after passing out some very authentic Mexican Calabres de Azucar, whatever that means, oh no, they're called sugar skulls. After passing out some very authentic Mexican sugar skulls, we encouraged attendees to make their own authentic connection by writing their own name along with the names of their living loved ones on the skulls. Alternatively, they could also write the name of someone who has passed on that they wanted to remember in the Imaginarium. So this is, you know, I'm, I'm glad Paul Leggett was there to end, lend some credibility to the whole Mexican sugar skull deal. That was good. I mean, that, I mean, when I read that, I was so relieved. I mean, I cannot tell you the relief I felt when I knew that he was there to kind of bring up the slack. So anyway, um, yeah, I have this all chronicled. It's all in the, I, I, right, I mean, I'm looking at the pictures of this, of this uh, prayer wall thing that they, and all the dead saints, and, and all the pictures of these people, Nelson Mandela and Johnny Cash, and, and all the greats, and all, all the stalwarts of the Christian faith, and, um, you know, all this, even though it's totally forbidden in the Bible, all this stuff, but yeah, you know, anything goes here, and, and, uh, Anyway, sorry, I got a little uh, tongue-in-cheek there, but um, sometimes it's, it's necessary to interject a little levity into this because this is insane, what is going on. And it's an absolute total abomination in the sight of God. And I can't even imagine uh, what the Lord must feel about all this. I mean, because if we're mad about it, and we're upset, and God is perfectly holy, living in sinless perfection, on the throne, I can't even imagine the anger... That 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 um, the the wrath that we're storing up for ourselves as a country, we really are. So anyway, I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and stop there. We've been going pretty long, and uh, we'll go ahead and close this out in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this time that you've given us, Lord. I do pray, God, that, that wherever your word is being preached worldwide, God, that you would bless that preaching in the name of Jesus Christ. I do pray, God, that you would forgive us for any and all sins that we've committed. In the name of Jesus Christ, that you would cleanse us of presumptuous sins and secret faults that they would not have dominion over us, God. That you would use us as salt and light, God. That you would use the body of Christ to reprove, rebuke, exhort. That we would live in holiness before you. 
and not hypocrisy, Lord God. That you would give us the discernment to know right from wrong and to see these things and to point them out. That you would give us the tongue of the learned. That we would be able to go forth and help other people, Lord God. And the bondages of these chains would be broken off these people, God. And I realize you said in your word, Lord God, narrow is the way that leadeth the life eternal, and few there be that find it. But Lord God, I also know that you said in your word that it's your will that not one would perish, but that all would come to repentance. And I pray, God, for your mercy upon these, uh, upon the unsaved, God. And upon those, Lord God, that will not be saved. Upon those that were, are going to turn their back on you and will repetitively turn their back on you as you know the beginning from the end, Lord God. I pray that they be dealt with in such a way that all men would see and fear and declare the work of God. That you would send them godly sorrow because we know that that leadeth to repentance. And the goodness of the Lord which also leadeth thee to repentance. I just pray, God, that you would use the body of Christ mightily and that, Lord God, that you would protect the body of Christ, your remnant, in the days and times to come. And that you would use them even more mightily when times get bad. And we love you, Lord God. We thank you. We ask all these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen.